Sifted Massive. Hope you're having a great Thursday night. It's Game Face live on Twitch right now. I'm Shane Satterfield. I'm Matt Kyle. We haven't done that in forever. No. <laughs> I don't they know. know. It's, they know at this point. It's on the bottom of the screen. Yeah. <laughs> we have a great show for you tonight. I promise lots of good topics. It's going to be a regular Game Face with a big six and the whole shebang. Although I have to say, I think next week will be the first time we do a new episode without the big six. So, yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're changing the show, Matt. Uh-oh. Yeah. I think it'll change will be for the better. But one thing I will say is that... They don't tell me anything here. <laughs> well, we talked about it on the show last last week or the week before. Uh, one thing I will say is that today may be the last time you ever see the big six bump. Wow. So, in celebration, if you guys just want to dance in your seats or whatever... And, and Sam can dance in his seat because that bump transition sucks. Yeah. <laughs> like if, you're, if you're running the TriCaster, you have like a split second to get that done. Yeah, it's the trickiest move that our TriCaster operator makes with every episode is making sure that that big six bump works correctly. So I think Sam will be doing a little dance as well in his seat knowing that it's going away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the show's going to be way better uh, with the new format, the way we're going to do it. I'm not going to tell you guys anything. I want it to be a surprise. Obviously, I haven't told Matt either, so it's going to be a surprise for him. Uh, but yeah, this will probably be the last week uh, with Game Face in its current incarnation. It's been a while. I mean, we've been doing the show the same way. A year and a half, yeah. Yeah, for, since I think April of last year was when we went, finally got the new graphics, the one that we, mm-hmm. have right, we, we have right now. So all good things must come to an end and be improved. And I think <laughs> you guys are going to like the new Game Face even more mm-hmm. than the one you have now. But again, I'm not going to divulge all that much. Uh, let's see, Matt, you have an announcement you want to make? I do. Uh, if you would like to hear me talk about the old G.I. Joe cartoon from the 80s, I am on my friend's podcast, Joe on Joe, this week. It's up right now. Uh, we talk about my favorite uh, standalone episode, The Viper is Coming, which is a 22-minute pun, um, if you haven't seen that episode. <laughs> but yeah, it's a Look for Joe on Joe podcast on um, iTunes, and uh, you should be able to find it. What's up right now? We babble for a while about G.I. Joe. We watch the episode and we commentate oh, wow. on it. And it's, um, it's a good time uh, and it would help my friend Joe out. We do talk about Sifted a fair amount because awesome. we talk about you know people around the show. I'm, all, I'm on with our friend uh, Kevin, Kevin Umbricht. Oh, cool. Who uh, made a bunch of the Spider-Man games you probably like. Yeah, and, uh, the Activision Spider-Man. He, plugs his new bu- he also plugs his new business, which is uh, Flower Arrangement. Yeah. Talk so, about uh, a ch- shift yeah. in the The, the flower monger is in the house. <laughs> That's crazy. But uh, yeah, check that out if you uh, are so inclined. Uh, not right now. Not right now. But like, <laughs> you know, when we're done, you know, you can find it on my Twitter if you can stay awake for another 10 minutes. Yeah, maybe not tonight. <laughs> I mean, And that's Joe on Joe, is that Joe right? Joe on Joe. His name is Joe, and he talks about G.I. Joe. There you go. Check it out on iTunes, and where else iTunes did you say? iTunes, and uh, look on my Twitter, and the link has been retweeted, if you want to go that way. There's a there number of ways to get to it, but there's no, like, central location. Okay, a uh, couple smaller topics we want to get to before we hit the big six. Uh, evolve. Which we all know, three months ago, I think it was the first week of July, they announced yeah. that uh, it was going free to play, and they were kind of reworking the Total game. switch over, like season two kind of thing. Yeah, and uh, they announced today that the free-to-play experiment is over. It's a failure. They are actually stopping all development on the game going forward. They did say the servers 
uh, are going to be up for the immediate future. They didn't mm-hmm. exactly confirm how long that would be. Sounded like Turtle Rock wasn't too too happy about the decision. Which decision to pull the to plug? To pull the plug. That was two K. They said yeah. basically that like they had plans to like you know bring the free to play model to console and all this other stuff. Never made it to console. Nope. Uh, they said never say never, but they aren't going to do it because they got released from their job, basically. Right. Matt, what did we learn from Evolve? Uh, don't announce the DLC before you show the game. Yeah. It would be, would be one on, <laughs> on the list, I would think. Um, make sure your game has been played for a while. I mean, I, that was the weird thing is it premiered so often... At shows, it has been at every show for you know, it, event you know, that game forever, won. and it came out on day one, and it was just like a monster running away from guys for twenty minutes, and you couldn't play the game really against it because no one was playing it properly. I believe, oh, I don't want to say the publications; I want to get it wrong, but I know at least one publication or one major awards gave it best of E three. Yeah, the one I year that. Yeah, and that was maybe a little misguided, but a little bit. I mean, it it demoed great at those shows. I mean, I had I loved it at E3 that year. Same. I mean, I wouldn't have given a game of the show, but I really had a good time playing it. Uh, Why did the, you have a good time playing it there, but when it ultimately came out, you didn't? Because at the shows, everybody like played the game properly. Like no one was like doing cheesy stuff to just you know make sure they won. They, you know, right. Because like on day one, the thing that kept happening was some people. You know, the guy who played the monster would f- run away. And, you know, the monster was very good at that. You know, like he, the hunters couldn't really catch him. And uh, he'd level up and, eat, you know, eat the livestock or whatever, the, the monster, the little creatures around until he leveled up to the point that he would just sort of storm in with very little time left. And, you know, basically the hunters had no chance. And it was that, it was that over. So, like, you had, you had to wait 20 minutes until you actually got to play anything of interest. Uh, and whereas in the... You know, in the event things, you've got the guys, you know, demoing it with you saying, oh, go over there, go over there. You know, like, they're kind of nudging the players to, like, you know, encounter each other properly. But once you get into that, you know, that kill-death ratio uh, realm of your own living room, uh, everybody just wants to play to win, doesn't want to play to fun. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know, I'm kind of torn on Evolve because it seemed like when I played with people who didn't know what they were doing, it was awful. And really, Mm -hmm. it just seemed like you were just running after the monster Mm -hmm. all the time. But there was a few times where I actually played with people who knew what the hell they were doing and worked as a team and set the traps and had strategy and actually talked through their headsets. And I had a great time with it. And I think what, that, what I've realized through all that is that it was not intuitive. It was mm-hmm. not a, an easy game to understand what you're supposed to be doing. And when you have a concept that's so kind of foreign and alien like that with a, you know an asymmetrical multiplayer, most people had never played that before, I think if you're going to do something that kind of spreads the genre's wings that much, you need to make the core concept really simple. Mm. Because people already have to get over the fact that they're not just trying to kill everybody. Mm. And once you get over that, then it's like, wait a minute, there's all these like rules and these things that I need to do, and I need to do this first, and like, oh, wait, now I can only attack him at these certain times. Like, it, I think it was too confusing. Mm. And it was also, because it was so confusing, it was hard to get games with people who knew what the hell was going on. They probably needed, like, tiers in the game, where, like, when you started, everybody had kind of a limited move set. It was, you know, a couple of simpler maps, and you sort of worked your way up into the more complex, full, full-blown full game. Right. Um, you know, not that, it, you know, I'm not saying you'd have to take weeks to do that, but, like, 
you know, it would probably have helped if it's like, okay, you're in a game and everybody just you can shoot you can shoot the monster and the monster can hit you with stuff, and then like we you introduce the skills as you go, yeah. kind of, because like early on when you first play, it's like, oh, you didn't know you could do that, did you? Now you're all dead. Oh, you know, there's like, tons of stuff in that game yeah. that I'm like, oh wait, I didn't know you could do that. I didn't know I needed to do right. that. Was the other right. problem with that game? So. And then that's on top of the whole, like, well, wait, did I get the, all the things I need? How much is the, you know, it was like some obscene amount of money you'd have to spend right. for all the DLC. Yeah. And you're, you know, it's another one of those, you're charging 60 bucks for a multiplayer-only game, and then, like, the multiplayer kind of died real fast, and it was... Um, then you had nothing. You had nothing to play, you know? And uh, in the end, I didn't buy it. I played some a friend's copy for a while, and then uh, just decided, no, I don't. I don't feel good about. It. I don't feel okay putting money towards this. I'll always remember that game though, because it was one of the first games that came out right when Sifted launched. Mm-hmm. So it was like one of the first games where I reached back out to all my PR contacts and was like, "Hey, can I get this game?" And they were like, "Yes," and I was like, "Yes!" <laughs> like we're getting code at Sifted. You know, it's kind of one of those milestones for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, then I played it, and well, kind of everything changed. Well, you outlasted it. Yeah, <laughs> I did. Sifted won that one. I barely, dude. After this year, I barely outlasted Evolve, let me tell you. It has been an insane year. So, uh, rest in peace, Evolve. I hope this isn't the end of the idea of asymmetrical multiplayer. I'm sure it's not. Because there's something like, there. Like, But it's weird how people seem to have, like, like devs or publishers, more, probably more accurately, have been avoiding that. I mean, look at how many cool, like, asymmetrical multiplayer ideas were... Like you know, possible on the Wii U, yeah, uh, and we got well, like that were shown games. in the original video, and like yeah. none of it ever happened. And like you know, I, I always go back to the Penny Arcade strip when the Wii U was announced, and they're like Dungeons and Dragons, four players with Wiimotes, Dungeon Master with the Wii U like gamepad. Print you're money. welcome. Go print money and nothing like nothing that, like ever. that. And that's the problem. And we'll t- we'll get we're going to talk about Switch again in today's show. Mm. But that's kind of the issue that you have when you have unique hardware. Yeah. Well, PSVR has some good asymmetrical multiplayer it things does, on, yeah. the, on the Playroom VR thing. It does. Yeah. Uh, which is fascinating because like that's the interesting thing about how Sony's really coming at the the VR thing, and, and which is you know ostensibly an isolating gaming experience. And turning it into something else. And, yeah, you're right. Uh, that's pretty cool. Yep. And, and it kind of took Sony to do that. All right, let's move on. Today, Microsoft announced that it is creating its own native streaming app for Xbox One mm-hmm. and Windows 10. It actually isn't creating it. It bought a service called Beam, I believe, last year. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if it was last year or early this year. But it bought kind of that Beam service, kind of like how Sony bought Gaikai. Right. Everyone's like, oh, why did they buy Gaikai? And then, you know, PlayStation... I knew why they bought Gaikai. Well, yeah, I mean, we did. No but... one's ever going to emulate the PlayStation 3 properly. Yeah, yeah, that. exactly. And ultimately, that it became a service for PlayStation. And now it looks mm-hmm. like Microsoft is doing the same thing with Beam. But is it necessary? What are they going to stream on it? Old no, you can, natively, you can stream whatever you're playing on oh. your Xbox One or on your PC... Through Beam. Okay. Sure. Is there any purpose to that, though? I mean, it already has apps that natively stream out to Twitch and things like that. It's like... I don't know. I guess they want more control over it. That's kind of the whole thing, right? You know, you even saw that in the Apple presentation today where it's like, oh, our big new thing is like this one, this TV app that gathers all the other apps functionality and puts it into one app. Yeah. So it automatically finds whatever app you need for whatever you want to see or whatever you want to do with the streaming and pulls that up automatically. So, like, 
it seems like the big manufacturers are kind of like in this realm where they're like, oh, we want to be able to control, like, you know, the stream in, the stream out. I think, you know, that's just part of it. And then they also announced that uh, the, the, the new headsets, yeah. the VR headsets, which indicates that they, you know, they're, they're not like on the level of uh, like the Vive or something, but clearly they decided to uh, distance themselves from the Oculus to some degree. That, that and I think you know they're they're realizing that Hololens and they probably knew this all along. Yeah. The Hololens is not a consumer product, mm. and it's never going to have penetration where anyone's going to be motivated enough to make games for it, other than Microsoft. And I mean, like maybe a decade from now, you'll have something that's more consumer. And you would think, yeah, the but... tech at that point would completely change, yeah. and yeah. So it's looking like Microsoft is hedging its bets a little bit on Hololens, or maybe it's just really realizing like. HoloLens is for other things. Mm. For entertainment, we're going to have to come up with something else. Yeah. Because Microsoft isn't the type of company to sit out a technology. No. No, they're not uh, They're not EA. Yeah. So uh, they're, they're going to dive in some way. But uh, I, I think they are a little more cautious than they once were. Yeah. So you can kind of see them watching and seeing how things break. Yeah, yeah. You're and, right. They're uh, not going out on a limb like they no, used to. That's for sure. No. Also, because I assume uh, you know there was a time when the Xbox division pretty much had free reign. It yeah. Was, the, 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 a blank the, check. The orders were, "We own this space, whatever it takes." Yeah. And now I I don't think that's the order anymore. I think it's <laughs> I more think like so if you can, can you can you keep it here? You know, like yeah. And uh, you know, I think they're doing okay. They're doing better than they did at the beginning of the you know, Xbox One announcement right and, and launch. So yeah. uh, you know, we'll see where they go with it. And if that headset, I think I saw that the headset's probably three hundred. Yes, what they're shooting um, for. Yeah. Shooting for like that's that could be a you know that could be a thing. That's less than PlayStation VR. Sure, that's for sure. Uh, going back to the streaming thing, just briefly. Can you see any way that Microsoft, someone would prefer to use Microsoft's Beam service over a Twitch? I mean, the only way I would see it is if they actually have less rules than Twitch. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's really the only way I could see anyone kind of breaking into Twitch's dominance, actually, is being more lax with the rules and allowing people mm -hmm. to kind of get away with stuff. Because what's happened with Twitch is it started as like the Wild West, but as time has gone on, the publishers have kind of sunk their nails into Twitch. And so, you know, it used to be, if you got a copy of a game early, you could go up on Twitch and you could stream that sucker. And mm -hmm. if you went, you searched and you found it, you could watch someone playing a game that went, where the street date had been broken. But now, Twitch has changed and they're working with the publishers. And now if you have a game early, like it won't let you stream. And if you do, they'll take down the stream. Like, I feel like there's an opening there for a renegade at this point. Mm -hmm. However, I don't, I don't think, think Microsoft, Microsoft is, is, the, is yeah. the renegade. Yeah, because Microsoft still has all those relationships with those same publishers. Yep. Um, I don't know. Like maybe I guess maybe they could find an easy way to monetize it, or they could find uh, you know incentives for the top streamers to get Microsoft stuff early. Or like I mean, I guess that kind of like an Xbox, you know, the, the rewards program sort yeah. of integrate it that way somehow. But if you're a big streamer, who's going to send their audience from Twitch over to Beam? Like I don't know. You're like, not gonna I don't know what their plan would be on. That. I mean, look. Like, how about this? Like, whatever you, whatever service you put up that lets me get back to one versus a hundred, yeah. that's all. I'll use that. Like, <laughs> like I, I miss that. I miss like yeah. kind of the, the the party game atmosphere they sort of had going early on in the Xbox Live Arcade thing. No, you're right. They, yeah. they just sort of dropped, which I guess it was not financially uh, viable. Sometimes you got to take one for the team, right. I think. You know. But like something like you know, but something like that. Maybe if that becomes sort of like the the flagship thing for Beam, like I could, I would, I would at least install it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like that, that's a victory right there. Frankly, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm a, you know, why do I need to install something? I just load up Twitch's website. You know, yeah. there's no reason for that. But like, 
That's what I would think is like, you know, incentivize it in a way that only Microsoft could incentivize it would be the only idea I could think of that would make people even glance at it. I mean, look, YouTube is a perfect example. It, yeah. it, honestly, I think YouTube probably has a better streaming platform than yeah. Twitch. Yeah. And I've thought Certainly about... more stable. Yeah. And I've thought about going over to YouTube because we have a lot more subscribers on YouTube than we do on Twitch. And there'll be a lot more people in the stream. I just don't know if more people in the stream is a good thing or a bad thing. It could be good if people are exposed mm. to Game Face more and decide to subscribe to the site. It could be bad and that the chats on YouTube are actually absolutely terrible. So, oh. I, don't I don't know. Give and take for everything, pretty much, in life when it comes yeah. down to it. There's always good and bad. There's never that <laughs> one great thing, is there? Uh, let's see. Yesterday, so we, we know that uh, there's been Elite controllers for Xbox One for quite a while now. Yesterday, Sony announced that it is working on Elite controllers with third-party peripheral makers, one of which was Razer. The nope. Other, the other company <laughs> I've never even heard of before, um, and you're seeing them on the screen right now. The uh, There's no word on price yet. Nacon, but yeah, exactly. But based upon sort of the other, there are third-party Xbox One models as well, made by these mm. same companies that are retailing around 150. So the guess is that these will also retail for 150. Matt, do you have an Elite controller for Xbox One? Yeah. Is it worth the money? Yeah, that's what I thought. I, I mean, <laughs> I like it a lot. Yeah. Worth worth 150 bucks. Mm, I'd pay a hundred. Yeah, that's what I. Th- I figured you know, it was probably like, a little spendy. For I mean, it's about the same price as like a high end gaming mouse or something. It's not your high end keyboard. That's a really high end gaming mouse. Oh yeah, one fifty. Like, that stuff is like yeah, it's over a hundred for, for the most part. It is really well made. If you can, you know, the first one I got had a broken bumper uh, because <laughs> elite. Yeah, so I had to re- I had to like, exchange that one for another one. Uh, but the new one is, you know, great. I've played it, used hundreds and hundreds of hours. Everything I play on PC, I use it for yeah. that. I don't use it on my Xbox One, actually, because yeah. I don't really use my Xbox <laughs> One. Yeah. So, uh, but I, yeah, it's, it's, I use it for everything on, on the PC, and, and it feels really good. It's way better than the normal one. Um, but I not worth 150 I would not pay 150 for it if, yeah, if, if I was just... Just trying to help people, because, you know, most people have a PlayStation 4. They've been waiting for I mean, a I guess maybe like if this. you really got into... You know, because I don't really like use... like eSports, maybe? Right, eSports stuff. I don't really use, like, the... If you're eSports, you're probably getting it sponsored, though. So, right, you know, getting it free. probably not yeah. paying for it. But it's like, if you really can get into, like, the paddle things on the bottom and the extra stuff and the switching out the D... You know, like, I switched out to the D-pad I like and the controls I like, and I took, the pad, I took the paddle things off, and yeah. I'm just like, okay, here we go. You know? <laughs> I don't need that. Like, what yeah. are you doing? So, word of the wise, maybe you wait until they drop down 50 bucks or a little more, which they they, do. I mean, I think, also, I think the PlayStation 4 controller is fine. Yeah, me too. Like, I I thought the Xbox One controller needed help, which is one of the main reasons I wanted an Elite. The D-pad, mostly. The D-pad and, like, the fact that... The, the the just the way I hold the controller, I kept popping the battery cover off. Oh, was, really? Yeah, because you, you press it in and push up, and when I I grab the controller hard, really? I'd push in and I've it would pop out. Interesting. Just just the way my my fingers rest on it. One thing I will say about the Xbox One controller, the battery life is amazing. Battery life's good compared yeah. to the PlayStation Four. Except for it's the like... my day one version, uh, I had to send that in because um, it stopped working. Really? And then they sent they sent 
it back. You know, the day like, one version. Yeah. Well, because I, I specified, I'm like, I want yeah. the one with the day one logo back. Right, back. right. So they sent me one, and it still didn't work. I'm like, okay, great. Because <laughs> I, I, bar- I was borrowing one uh-huh. uh, to play in the meantime. So I'm like, oh, well. So I threw it, to, threw it on the, ca- the one that didn't work on the couch. I'm like, I'll, I'll deal with that later today. And I kept playing with the normal controller. And at one point, I decided to stretch out on the couch, and I kicked the, um, the day one controller out of the way, and it hurt. I, I burned my foot. I was like, what? what? And I go over, and I pick it up. It's red hot. Like what? it's burning hot. And and it was because it wasn't on, the light wasn't on, it wouldn't connect to the system, but it was still cycling power through the batteries. Oh my god. The batteries god. were batteries are too hot to touch. Oh wow. And so I had to open it up and I opened and, and dumped them out and like, you know, like uh, and and I and then I called them back, uh, called Microsoft support back, and I'm just like, yeah, you sent me a time bomb. Yeah, <laughs> like if, Samsung is like a you, note. And seven. maybe you could pay for shipping this time, yeah. <laughs> just you know, to make up for that. So I eventually got one that worked, but like, yeah, um, yeah I'm not been too impressed by the Microsoft standard Xbox One controller. Uh, yeah, I hate the D-pad. But I have never, I've, you know, I mean, my problem with the PS4 controller is I keep burning through them after a year, year and a few months because the the analog sticks stop. Being centered, and there's no way to recenter them or calibrate them, so I end up having to get another one. I got the Best Buy replacement thing now for the uh, last one I got, so I'm just like, I'm just gonna replace I've them had for no free. Problem, over I still have my launch controller for PS4. Every time, I, it was about every uh, 14, 15 months, uh, the, the launch one broke when I was playing Destiny, and then and then the the, the replacement for that broke while I was playing uh, the, the Division. It's always the left analog stick. It starts to uh, like drift. When you push push right, it drifts down and right. Wow! And that is bad in a game with cover, <laughs> because it you con- in division I was constantly jumping off the cover, and I'm like, I don't know, maybe the game's broken. But no, the controller's broken. Huh? So I've had no issues. Uh, then lastly, before we move on, we have some sad news today, folks. <laughs> it's been announced that UA Bowl has decided to quit making. Movies. I thought he quit a long time ago. Uh, he just people He's made him quit. <laughs> well, the loop, one would closing give him money the German anymore. tax loophole made him quit. That, yeah. was, I mean, that was the trick he was using. Not only did Uwe quit, he quit bitterly. He always does. <laughs> He's so mad. He like uh, he blames like all the gamers for ruining his career. He blames all the video game movies he made for ruining his career. You he, seen Blood Rain? He like, ruined, ruined his career. career. Yeah. <laughs> This, I think, is the last movie he ever made. This is uh, Postal, the movie. Yeah, he made a non-video game one uh, about uh, about the Holocaust, I think. Oh, right, right. He made some movie that actually got like an award yeah. or something. It, yeah, it actually wasn't too bad, apparently. I didn't see it. Um, I don't think anyone's going to miss him as a no, uh, film well, director. We might miss him as a boxer. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty entertaining. He beat the shit out of like every game journalist and yeah. reviewer that... Like, Came up to him and clearly, yeah. but so that was funny. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just terrible, terrible, terrible films. And the whole, I mean, the whole thing was like it was, it was a German tax loophole or something that like basically. Well, he says now that he put up a lot of his own money to make those yeah, films. Yeah, but he got it he back. He lost all his money or That's whatever. That's bullshit. No one puts keeps putting up money and making terrible films on purpose because yeah. they lose money. That's <laughs> not how it works. That's, the whole point was like if you didn't make your money back, you got a refund on what you'd invested. Right. Well, so. he he's crying the blues, and he's moving on. And meanwhile, it seems like video game movies are getting better than ever. Whatever that's worth. Yeah, it's probably right. I mean, it's a low bar there, but it is kind of ironic. He's saying, you know, video game movies ruin my career, and they're terrible, and there's no way to make them good. And I feel like 
a lot of the other studios are saying no. Like you mm-hmm. can make a good video game based movie. Well, Although I don't know have, if I've actually yeah, ever we seen, one. seen that yet. Yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, I th- you know, like Mortal Kombat and a couple of Resident Evils like nailed the cheese. Right. You know, the B, the B movie feel. It's so bad it's good. Right. So bad it's uh, like the game. T- but if you're talking about a, a movie, a video game movie that I'm like, wow, that was a good movie. I came out of that with like that was a great movie. I'm gonna put that on my list of like ten movies I'm glad I saw this year. No, that doesn't happen. Yeah. Not yet. Probably never. I don't. I don't think it will. I mean, I know people are looking towards Assassin's Creed in no. December. I think um, it's probably going to suck, I too. think that is probably not going to be a very good <laughs> film. I also think it's going to be destroyed by Star Wars Rogue One, oh, which comes out the week before. It's, I don't know why they're putting it where they're putting it. You would think it. you would put it out the week before Star Wars. Yeah. It would make a lot more sense. Yeah, I don't know what they're thinking. They're on trying to hit Christmas and the families. Oh, yeah, yeah and but like, you want to hit Christmas before Star Wars shows up and devours the market everything. for the next yeah. four weeks. I mean, because it... Buzz on Rogue One is crazy good. So. Is it? Oh yeah. I have not liked any of the trailers I've seen for that movie so far. There, there are some people like some people inside the 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 Beltway, so yeah. to speak, <laughs> uh, who are saying it, it might be the best Star Wars movie. Really, man? Both the trailers. Now, I watched, now I don't know. I'm, like... I'm not going to go too. I'm not going to go like you know too hardline on that opinion. Sure. Uh, because uh, a, I haven't seen it, and b, uh, I think it's going to get a boost from the fact that it's different yeah. from any other Star Wars Could... movie we've ever seen. There's no Jedi. There's no right. stuff like that. It's, it's all. It's it's a heist picture. It's basically Ocean's Eleven in Star Wars land. That's probably why it doesn't resonate with me. It doesn't really look. It like does it, not other look than like the Star Wars, other than the setting. Yeah. yeah. But that's. I'm really interested in that because I'm like, well, let's let's see what they can do with it. Also, yeah. you know, my friend wrote it. So. Oh, there you go. I mean, I'll, I'll definitely go see it. Obviously, but I mean, I'm not. You know, and I will not automatically like anything he writes because he did write uh, After Earth. There but, you go. Um, <laughs> Uh, I'm just saying, I hope it's good so he gets a great Star Wars movie to his name. Yep. Uh, yeah. Uh, will not be missed, Uva. No, he really won't be missed at Sorry. all. Sorry. And the funny thing is, is like now that he's... Also, kind of a dick. Yeah. Now that he's stopped making video game movies, there isn't like... Oh, there's not this deluge of films bringing down the mean or the average. Right. Maybe more studios will think, hey, maybe we should actually spend a, a decent amount of money and right. get a good director in here and get a scriptwriter to actually make a well, decent video game I mean, movie. you see they, they got a real director to do the Uncharted movie. Not that yeah. I think anybody wants that, really. Right. But, like, I mean, at least it's not going to be uh, David O. Russell's idea, which was like two guys running a store or something. Like, yeah. I, I, couldn't even, I couldn't even remember. <laughs> what The idea he had was incredibly strange. Well, um, it, was, it was obvious that he had never really played the game. No, didn't well, he had no IP. interest in any right. of it. It was like yeah. it was like it was about like antique store dealers or something. <laughs> it, was, it was ridiculous. Um, but you know, like, I mean, I think between War, you know, even Warcraft was terrible, and Assassin's Creed will probably not be good. But they look like real movies. They do, yeah. They, you know, Unlike what we just saw there with right. Postal, right? <laughs> it looked like we shot that. Movie. Yeah, that, I mean, it looks like John Carpenter on a bad day yeah. there. But like this is, uh, you know, the video game movies look like you know big budget, real effort films. And I mean, they'll probably get there. You'll, you'll, someone will strike gold eventually with something. Probably something we have no, uh, you know, inkling of, like yeah. Portal or something. Yeah, like yeah. So, like something you would never think. Like someone's gonna make like a, you know, another Mario Brothers movie, and it's, it's gonna like gonna be the blood. greatest thing we've ever seen. <laughs> you know, it's gonna, it's gonna be awesome. Because you know, there's precedent for that in the sense that, like, remember, like stuff like the old Captain America movie, which yeah, was yeah. just like the most embarrassing, terrible thing ever, and now Winter Soldier is like one of the best superhero movies ever made. Yeah. If you take that source material and you trust it and you take it to its logical conclusion, you might come up with something great. And Mario, Mario is just weird enough to work in that context. We'll see about that one. All right, it's time to move on. And for what may be the last time ever, let's get to the big six. 
No shortage of topics right now, Matt. No. They are just coming down like the rain. <laughs> the games just keep coming out. Just uh, It's a great time of year for it's a show like Game coming, Face. But they all come on Friday for some reason. Yeah. Yeah, what, what is? Happened? I don't know what's. We're like Friday turning to thing. Europe. Like all of a sudden, like games have been. And yeah, last week we were talking about how two games were about to unlock as the show ended. Yeah. This game thing. that we're talking about right now will unlock in about an hour and a half for yeah. those of you on the East Coast, or actually now the way it is now for everybody. So you now, now games are coming out on the t- the time that movies come out. And the movies are coming out on Wednesday. Yeah. So we're gonna give you the scoop on Titanfall Two just in the nick of time. Uh, I for whatever reason I did not get this game incredibly early. Uh, I just got it a couple days ago and just started kind of going through it. Um, I had played in the beta and played the multiplayer for a little bit. I didn't get to play as much of the beta as I wanted to. Um, but I have been playing the multiplayer and the campaign over the last couple days. Uh, I'm going to talk mostly about the campaign because I feel like we have discussed the multiplayer a good bit. Um, here's what I'll say. So people probably know that Respawn is actually a respawn of the studio that kind of created the modern template for Call of Duty. Not, no kind of. It did. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the people working at Respawn are the folks who made Call of Duty for mm. Modern Warfare. And who started Call of Duty. And then Modern mm. Warfare 2. Um, yeah, and you're right. Like they've, They created Call of Duty. They did, yeah. And then after... What was it? They wanted to make Modern Warfare for 2, and right. Activision wouldn't let them. Yeah. And then uh, they finally... But I think it was something like, basically, if if Call of Duty 2 does well, we get to make the game we want to make. And they're like, okay. And then they made it, and then it came out. It was the biggest thing ever. And that was the end of that, you know? Yeah. And uh, so they've moved on, started their own studio, appropriately named Respawn. Um, probably not a better named studio in the entire industry. <laughs> and their first game was the first Titanfall. And great multiplayer game, but it really had no campaign. It had this... No. Kind of a radio show that yeah. played during <laughs> selected maps. Yeah, it was really yeah. odd the way they kind of handled it. In some ways, I kind of admire that how they did that, but at the same time, it's like if you're going to dedicate that much work to trying to create mm. this pseudo narrative, just create a freaking narrative. Yeah, and there's also like there was clearly there was going to be a campaign at some point, yeah. and they had to scrap it somehow because you got to well, pick one. If you got to pick one, you pick the multiplayer when you're doing a shooter. Well, it was also an Xbox exclusive. I'm sure mm. there was pressure for on from Microsoft for them to get yeah. it done in time for launch. A, I mean, new company working with the new engine, you know, with the Source engine um, or whatever they used. I think there was a Source engine. Um, you know, there was a lot to do uh, just to get that thing out the door and up to it, including like building their office computer network. You know, like there was. It's not surprising that they had. It's kind of surprising they got such a solid game out at it all. Is. Um, but I always knew that Titanfall 2 would be sort of the more full-fledged entry. Yeah. And uh, so this one has a campaign. You're watching it right now. This footage that we're showing you is from Xbox One, and it is from the very beginning of the campaign after you finish the tutorial. Um, one thing I would say right off the top is that this game does remind me a lot of Call of Duty as far as mm-hmm. the campaign is concerned, right down to the gun range tutorial that you're forced <laughs> to go through at the beginning. Um, the tutorial for this game, actually, this this part is really kind of a tutorial. Like, you do the traditional, like, here's the gun range, shoot the guns at the targets, here, learn how to wall run, that type of stuff. But still, this first section of the game, when you don't actually have control of a Titan, is still pretty much like the training session. Um, so you do. You play for the first, like, 40, 45 minutes without the Titan. And one thing I would say overall is that you play in the campaign 
With the Titan, probably 40% of the time, maybe less. Mm. A, a good portion of the campaign is just you on foot. And that's kind of how it plays along is you switch back and forth. So there'll be moments where the, the Titan just can't get inside and you have to go inside and infiltrate something. There's another part of the campaign where the Titan gets picked up by an assembly line and gets taken through this factory. Hmm. And you have to fight your way to the end of the factory where you meet up and then you jump in. So it kind of plays off that that whole kind of thing throughout the entire campaign. Um, so yeah, you can definitely see a Call of Duty influence in this. I mean, you can see it in the level design too. It is kind of a, uh, a cattle shoot, so to speak, where mm -hmm. you're kind of forced down this tunnel the whole time. And that is probably why you don't play as a Titan as much, is because the levels aren't big enough to really facilitate great Titan combat, I guess is the best way to put it. You always feel like you're constrained when you're playing as a Titan in this. There's a couple areas where it kind of breaks open and you have a little more space. But for the most part, like, you're playing with a Titan, like, inside a building, which is really mm. kind of weird and bizarre, in all honesty. And it works sometimes. It doesn't work other times. Like I said, you feel kind of claustrophobic. The, other, the one thing I like about that, though, is that it's always intense. Like, you're always feeling like there's no escape, like you can't get away, and it forces you to learn how to kind of combo your weapons. So if you play Titanfall, you kind of know how it works. It's kind of like playing a MOBA. There's a certain sequence of firing off your attacks that is that optimizes your damage output. And the, the campaign, by kind of keeping you in these cramped quarters, kind of forces you to learn those combinations. And so you, you play as one Titan throughout the whole campaign. It's not like you're jumping mm -hmm. through, I think there's six total in the multiplayer. So it's not like you're jumping through all the Titans. And at first I was like, well, this sucks. You know, if I'm only playing as one Titan, how am I going to learn how to play as all of them for the multiplayer? And kind of how they remedy that is they end up giving you the abilities that the other Titans have throughout the campaign. Mm -hmm. So you'll come across uh, pilot helmets, and some, like one time you get a helmet, and it gives you like this transmitter that helps you hear like the enemy's broadcast. Sometimes you'll get a helmet; it'll give you a brand new attack, like a special attack that one of the titans has. So while you have this one titan that you play as the whole time, he's actually kind of a Swiss Army knife robot, mm -hmm. and that he can kind of take on the roles of a lot of the other titans that you play as in the multiplayer. Um, the story in in the game in the campaign. You start out as like a rookie pilot or whatever. You're a rifleman and you're sent down to this planet. It's called like Typhon, I think is the name of it. And on the way down, like you encounter all this resistance and it was supposed to be just a recon mission and it turns out to be a full scale war. Um, you land, you find, and you're kind of seeing this right now, you find this Titan, um, one of your comrades is in the Titan, but the Titan gets attacked by the other Titans, and he dies, and so basically, right before he dies, he hands his Titan over to you, <laughs> and you become the pilot of his Titan. And you try to jump in, you can't, you end up getting sent on the scavenger hunt to go find batteries for the Titan. <laughs> it really it really makes no sense whatsoever. It's not like they drained the thing's batteries when they attacked it, but you're sent on this on this scavenger hunt to find the batteries, you bring the batteries back, put it in the Titan, and then it's on. You're basically with the Titan for the rest of the game, except when the game decides to separate the two of you. And I guess the big sort of emotional beats in the campaign, it's all about the relationship between you and the Titan. Mm -hmm. It almost reminds me a little bit at times of like a Team Eco game. 
like Eco, where hmm. you're you have like this companion that uh-huh. is with you at all times, and maybe even the Last Guardian a little bit, because it's like this big behemoth that goes with you on your adventure. And you know they do their best to kind of personify the the Titan. Um, you know you have like these binary decision conversation decisions you can make while you talk with the Titan. They aren't really anywhere else in the game. It's just like they'll pop up every once in a while, and you can decide to ask a question or just reply to something that the Titan says. There's this constant dialogue between you and the robot. Hmm. And, like, as the game goes on, like, he he observes you and tells you, like, you're doing amazing. And, like, <laughs> they try to, like, build this relationship between you and the robot. And, you know, there's a big twist at the end, and I think people will probably be able to guess what the twist is before it ever shows up um, because, you know, they spend the whole campaign creating this relationship between you and this other thing. And then, you know, I think people can probably fill in the blanks of what Mm -hmm. happens at the end of the game. And it won't take them that long to figure it out because the campaign lasts about four and a half hours. Ouch. Four and a half hours. And that was me. You know, there are there are like little trinkets that you can pick mm-hmm. up and collectibles and things like that. And did, it first, feel like, did that feel like the right length though, or could you have played it longer? I'll say this much: they jammed a whole lot into that like four and a half hours. Like when it was over, I started thinking back across the game. It's like a Call of Duty game in that way. Like there's no real downtime. There's not a lot of peaks and valleys. Like it's just kind of like it cranks it up to like eleven, mm. and it just kind of stays there. Um, and again, that's kind of that Call of Duty special sauce, like, leaking into this game as well. Um, although I would say that, you know, Vince and the Respawn guys, when they had control of Call of Duty, it did kind of have peaks and valleys. Yeah, they knew what, that was actually why I liked their campaigns better than Treyarch's, was because they knew when to make it breathe. Yeah. And Treyarch is just go, 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 go the whole time. And there's really none of that in this. Like, there's Mm. really no valleys in this game. Like, it is just pretty much ratcheted up. And part of it is just the speed that you can travel, and Mm. the fact that, you know, you're you're in a robot, and there's, it's it's just mania most of the time. I tell you, it's, it's funny that Battlefield 1 kind of, like, deflated my hype for this game's campaign a little bit because I realized that I think I would prefer a Battlefield 1 style campaign for Titanfall because I'm so interested in the world of Titanfall. I think I would prefer like five like vignette chapters in different parts of the war to kind of like flesh out what this whole Titanfall thing is well, more. The whole Titanfall thing is basically Avatar. It's, it's <laughs> very similar to Avatar. Uh, just the whole vibe of it. I mean, looking at it, it looks almost oh, yeah, like even, it's an Avatar video. Shooting game. those like wolf things is very yeah. Avatar. There's the, and that's the other thing too. There's a whole ecology to the game. So the creatures that you see, they're not on one side or the other, but you can use them to your advantage. For instance, you come into a room and just like Call of Duty, it's like a shooting gallery. Like you come into an open area, you kind of post up behind some cover, and then people just rush out and you shoot them. But in the mix are these animals, and the animals will attack whoever they get near. So sometimes you come into like a big open area, and you're like, oh crap, there's like 10 guys I need to take out. They start shooting at you. Next thing you know, like a creature will come running out of the jungle, and will start attacking them. And instead of like attacking them or attacking the animal, you just let nature take its course. <laughs> and you worry about the other guys. And by the time you finish off those other guys, the creature has probably finished off the soldier, and then it's coming at you. And you're going to have to kill the creature anyway. You might as well wait until after they've done some of your work for you. So there's that whole kind of angle and strategy to it as well, which I really liked and appreciated. Um, 
Let's see, what else? Uh... Like, it's a little bit like Metroid as you go on. I was talking about how you get new abilities for the Titan as it goes on. Like, you defeat an enemy, and you take his helmet, and then all of a sudden you have this new ability. So it's got a little bit of that in it. Um, it has, like, the core abilities, the super attacks that build up over time, and you can unleash these devastating attacks. Uh, you fight tons of other Titans in this. It's not like you just fight, like, a boss here and there, although there are sort of those confrontations where... The pilot, the, the latch will open up, the pilot will come out, the name mm -hmm. will pop up of the pilot, <laughs> they'll give some corny little like one-liner or whatever, get back into the Titan, and then it's on. So those are kind of like the boss fights in the game. Um, the melee, when you're the pilot, is amazing. It is probably the best melee I've ever experienced in a first-person shooter. Better than the charges in Battlefield 1. It's it's probably the best melee ever. And that was one thing that, like, Respawn never really got right in the Call of Duty franchise. <laughs> like, they had it, and it worked, but it never really felt natural. And in this game, it feels like totally like a part of the, the fabric of the game. Uh, it works great. It keeps the speed up of the game as well. Um, because, you know, when you, when you scope in to shoot, obviously your sprint stops. But if you're really good with timing your melees in this game, you can just keep on trucking through enemies as you melee uh, the... The distance that you can melee someone from is probably like 10 yards. <laughs> like, you can click melee about, well, probably 10 feet. A 10, away, 10 feet away from somebody, and it will go into the animation, and you can melee them. And it just feels great. It feels amazing. The weapons feel awesome. Surprise, surprise. Something these guys have nailed for a good 10 to 15 years at this point. Probably longer. Yep. Um, they just feel amazing. Every weapon feels different. Every weapon feels like it has a different purpose and strength and weakness. Um, the core gameplay of this game is incredible, and that carries over into the multiplayer as well. Um, grappling hook is not a part of the campaign, really. Aww. I know it, it does. It doesn't really make a lot of sense because it's like the big new feature in the multiplayer, but it hasn't carried over to the campaign. And I guess I never really answered your question either: of is it the right length? Mm -hmm. And you know what? I would say I was ready for a little more when it ended. Hmm. Um, it, it's not like it ends abruptly or it seems like they just didn't get it done and cut it off. Like, it has a full arc that makes sense and you can kind of see the end coming and everything. Whereas in other games, sometimes you think the end is coming and something happens. It turns the tables and it kicks you off into another three or, three or four hours of gameplay. Here, you don't really get that. Like, it actually does end when you think it's going to wrap up the first time. Um, I love how the, the grenade tosses in this game, like you toss them, like you flick them, like it's not this like pull back and then, you know, this like two second delay from when you hit throw grenade until you actually throw the grenade, hmm. like you just kind of whip them like underhanded really quickly, I love that about it. Um, it all of the combat and, and all the traversal and everything in this game is to, is designed to make sure that it never slows down and you're always moving forward and it's always fast and fun and exciting. Um, and here you can see kind of the animals I was talking about. Uh, you'll see that they actually are up there attacking that guy. And instead of shooting that guy, I just let them do their thing. And mm -hmm. then once they finish him off, they come after me, and then it's my turn to take Ooh. him out. So, uh, what else can I say? Lots of platforming. <laughs> oh my gosh, dude. This is almost like a first person platformer. This is the early part of the game, and it's just teaching you the basics. Later on in the game, it starts to get like crazy where there's like. These factories, with it's almost like a Mario game in first person where there's like this these factory areas where there's all these platforms that are like going at different speeds and in different directions and some of them will fold up just when you go to jump on hmm. them. 
some of the, the platforming in this is some of the most difficult platforming I've done in first person since, like, Turok 2. Like, wow. it, it starts to become really challenging towards the end of the game, and I like that. It gives it, like, a different flavor. And the other part of it, too, is you need to get good at the platforming to be good in the multiplayer. So that's one of, those, one of the ways where I feel like it actually does prepare you really well for going online and competing against others. Um, there's it another... used to be what the campaign was for. Yeah, yeah you're right. That's, you're yeah, absolutely right. Uh, and then there's a real... I, don't even, I almost feel bad about spoiling this a little bit, but I will. <laughs> there's a really cool mechanic towards the end of the game where you get like an item, and this item can instantly flip you back in time. So you're in present day, and there are 20 enemies that are you're tackling at that time. And maybe you're like, oh my gosh, like this, I'm fighting this titan and he's like right in front of me. Well, you can sort of flip the time, move in behind him, flip the time back so that he reappears and then, and then flank him and attack him from behind. Hmm. And at first it seems really simple, but over time you start to really think about it and work with it and it becomes like this really cool gameplay mechanic. So, it's right. so like I said. I like, wouldn't have expected that. I know, I know. There's, there's lots of little stuff in the campaign that I would not have expected. And that maybe that's why like when it wrapped up I was like, no, I want some more. Hmm. Because I did a bunch of stuff in this game that I hadn't done in other shooters. So... I've had a lot of fun with the campaign, man. I really liked it. It is too short, and I mean, that's certainly something you should consider. It's, it's also too bad that, like, nobody does single-player DLC for this stuff. You know, like, it's all multiplayer maps. Yeah. And uh, same like with Battlefield 1. I'm like, you know, I, I would like to see a single-player campaign, you know, a chapter for France and a chapter for Russia, but you know it's just all going to be DLC, you know, DLC multiplayer maps and yeah. modes. So it's like... It's it's kind of too bad that that's uh, that focus is so far off that I know it's that's where that's where the money is. Yeah. But uh, now we gotta wait two more years for Titanfall three, I guess. I would say my biggest disappointment with this game, oddly enough, is the multiplayer. And it's not that it's bad or I don't like it. It's just that it's pretty much the same damn thing. Yeah. Which, I mean, I, I'll admit, I, I mean, I have the PC version coming whenever Green Man Gaming sends their damn key to me. Yeah. Uh, but um. Like I'm kind of accepting that like the PC, you know, the first game's PC version was dead, yeah. you know, inside of a month. Um, so everybody's just like, oh, buy PS4, PS4, PS4. I'm just like, oh, I'm mainly here for the campaign, man. Like yeah. I'm kind of, I want to see it look real pretty and 4K and all that stuff. And like I hope it has some multiplayer longevity. But I know I don't play these shooters long enough to really warrant switching platforms just for the sake that maybe I want to play around a Titanfall in two months, you know? No, I do have both versions. I have both the Xbox One version, which is what you've been seeing while we've been talking about it in the show today. But I also have the PlayStation 4 version. And this is... I only played, like, the first hour and a half of Xbox One before I went over to PlayStation 4 and stayed there because there's a visual... There's an obvious visual bump on PlayStation mm -hmm. 4. So if you have both consoles and you're going to pick up this game, don't think twice about it. Get the PlayStation 4 version. Um, but, yeah, I mean, my biggest disappointment is that the multiplayer just hasn't changed much, if at all. Um, there's, like, the coolest change to me in the multiplayer is this one-on-one -on -one dueling mode. The problem is, is, like, you have to unlock it. Like, when you first start playing multiplayer, you can't even play it. But there's, like, a one-on-one, -on -one, just mano-a-mano dual mm. mode in this game, which I think first-person shooters should have more of. I mean, obviously, you can always set that up yourself with a custom game if you want to, but 
having people actively funneled into a playlist like that so that you know you always have competition. You don't have to make sure that a friend is available before you can play it. I think it's a great idea. I could honestly seeing it maybe becoming like the bigger of all the options for esports and things like that. So, but otherwise, it pretty much plays exactly like Titanfall One, which for some people, that's that's what they want to hear. Mm. Uh, for me personally, the first Titanfall, I probably played it for a month, a month and a half before I cooled off, and that was being incentivized by the fact that somebody I knew made the game, mm-hmm. and I was playing with that person who made the game, and that person was like showing me the ropes and teaching me strategies and things like that. Um, but I kind of burned out on it a little bit faster than I do typically on other first-person shooters. Um, and now I spent a decent amount of time with the multiplayer in this between the beta and now playing the final version. Um, I think that's it. It's like if you really liked the first Titanfall and you still kind of haven't grown tired of it, I think you're going to think it's great and think it's fine. And the grappling hooks do add a little bit something to it. Really all it does is just make it even faster. Mm -hmm. And so if you're you're a person who played the first Titanfall and you didn't like it because of how fast it was, they've done nothing that's going to change your mind on that. So does it seem like they changed? I know we didn't get to play the beta because of the timing problem. But uh, does it seem to you like they changed a lot of stuff from the beta that people complained about and shifted it back to kind of the standard attrition mode and that kind of thing? No, I mean, the modes, they haven't really... From where they announced the the modes at first, they haven't changed anything from it. They haven't added any or taken any away. There's eight different modes, including the one-on-one mode that I had talked about. And then there's three different options outside of those eight modes to kind of tweak those core eight. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're all pretty typical. There is one cool mode where when you kill the enemy, you get cash, and then you have to go and bank that cash. So the whole object is you kill, you build up this bank account, but it's worthless unless you make it back to the bank and then put the money into the bank. And so I felt like that's a little bit of a unique twist on it. I mean, the unique twist is that you're controlling freaking mechs. Right. I mean... <laughs> The truth of the matter is that there's still only one game that does this. And, you know, it's been a while since the first Titanfall. It's been two years. Most people probably gave up, like, even the hardcore people gave up a year ago. Mm -hmm. And I feel like those people are going to come back and they're still going to have a blast with this. And it's even faster and more frenetic than it was before. Um, But I feel like people who were not into the first Titanfall, there's nothing in this. It's They're going to be like, oh, now I like it. It's still, at its core, the same thing. And... You know, you can say that about a lot of first-person shooters, but then you look at, like, Call of Duty. And there have been a couple entries of Call of Duty where it really kind of turned its on, on its head and did something different. Now, the last two have been pretty much identical with Black mm-hmm. Ops 3 and now the new one. But, you know, the one before that was crazy. You had jetpacks, and it completely changed how you traverse. And I actually wish they had stuck with that instead of stuck with Black Ops 3. But, you know, it's, it's kind of like the game is exactly what I expected it to be for better or worse. And I think I could probably say that about most people who are listening to the show or watching this show right now, is that like what you expect it to be is what it is. And with the exception of the campaign probably being better than you think. Mm-hmm. Um, I did have a really good time with the campaign. Um, it, it's fun. And it is short. Um, and there are, tons, there are tons of difficulty settings, so if you want to crank it up and go back through it again. Uh, there's not a lot of incentive in the game's design to do that. There are no real branching paths or anything like that. 
um, like you get with actually with even like Gears of War 4 has like a couple branching paths in it. Mm-hmm. But this one, it's not really that way. Everything's really linear, and like I said, you're just kind of shoved down the cattle chute from one skirmish to the next. But I'm liking it. I've had a lot of fun with it. Campaign short. If you're in it for the campaign, I definitely recommend Redbox in this sucker. Like, do not pay full price for it. Uh, if you liked the last Titanfall multiplayer, you're going to love this. If you haven't burnt out on it and you're ready for some more, it's bigger, better, and more badass. Just <laughs> <laughs> still a line from Cliff Blazinski, uh, but it's not entirely different. So, any questions that you might have for me? Not really. I mean, it sounds like uh, sounds like we know what we're getting in here, other than a slightly more innovative and slightly shorter than expected campaign. Yeah, it is also a very pretty game. Yeah, um, I mean, we were looking at Xbox One footage there. It still looks great on Xbox One. Oh, yeah. Don't get me wrong. Like, if you're an Xbox One owner and you're like, "Oh, Shane said PS4 looks better," Xbox One still looks really good. So, you know, don't sweat it and mm-hmm. be like, "Oh, you know, I don't want to get the inferior version." Like, there are still tons of moments of awe while playing this on your Xbox One. You're not going to be disappointed in it at all. And I would even go so far as to say that a good bo- a good portion of this game looks better than Gears of War 4. Hmm. And a lot of that doesn't have to do with things on a technical level, but more of an artistic level. Um, so yeah. I'm liking Titanfall 2. Um, I don't think it's going to convert many people who didn't like the first game, though. I guess that's the way I would sum it up. Alright, all right, let's move on. Next, we're going to talk about a game that Matt's really having a good time with. Yeah. World of Final Fantasy. Mm-hmm. So, just to set it up, World of Final Fantasy is a turn-based RPG. Yeah. That actually uses the active time battle system, right? Yeah, from the, from Final Fantasy VI and onward, basically. Although, you can tweak it however you want. You can have it be, you know, full turn-based. You know, as soon as you, you know, everybody's got their little portrait running along the time bar and if yeah. it gets when it gets to the top you get to do your thing and um, uh, you can set it so it freezes everything you can set it so uh, you can set it uh, so um, it everything st- still keeps moving you have to make your decisions as quick as possible and you can set it so um, I think you have like a limited I think it's basically a lot I think the other mode is like it freezes time except everybody else's portrait keeps moving so like Everybody can get to the top and then they take their turn in that order. So, like, it, it doesn't freeze, like, the whole time. Which is good because um, if you free, if you have everything just freeze over and over again, it, like, takes forever. Yeah. Like, like everybody... The characters... <laughs> I play the character-based RPGs. I adjust the combat system to make it as fast as possible. The characters in this game spend almost as much time staring at each other <laughs> as they do hitting each other. So... So this um, game is a turn-based RPG, chibi mm. graphic style, but partly, partly, right? Like the world, the because the, like you're seeing right here, the the world that the twins you play as come from, uh, Rain and Lan, uh, is a lot of sugar. Is <laughs> yeah, she she likes sugar. Um, he so they, they where they come from is a more more realistic looking world, like as as realistic as kind of a Kingdom Hearts anime style. <laughs> that area. Uh, she she uh, she is according to the thing at the end of the tutorial. She's God, so apparently God likes a lot of sugar in her in her in her drink. Yeah. Um, but basically, he he is him and his sister's about to run in. They work in he works in the Starbucks, Starbucks obviously. Sort of thing. Uh, there's no one else in the whole world in the whole town. Like they're but the only them. two here, and they this, this is the first day they've noticed that. And then they've, they like, <laughs> this is the first day they've noticed her, the the the, the girl with all the sugar. And then the thing on his head, which is also new that day, apparently. And it turns out that the two of them, 
used to be uh, masters of like the battlefield with the potential to kind of like rule all the worlds. Okay. But now they don't remember that because <laughs> it's Final Fantasy, so you have right. to have amnesia. Um, and so, so they, wait, is, two, is it two twins with amnesia? Is that what you're yes, telling me? They're both am, they're both amnesiac <laughs> ultra super battle lords who lost all their soldiers. I have never heard and that plot before. That's never been used. Not at all. Well, now there's two of them. Yeah, you see. Right. Normally uh, it's just the one guy with spiky that's hair. That's the twist. Or the one girl with a skirt that's way too short to fight <laughs> things in. That's the other thing. I, like You'll see it uh, when you see larger things. That keeps annoying me is... Because uh, they can switch between that size and like their chibi version at will. And you have a different loadout for each size. So you can switch depending on what you need to do. When she's her giant size... They're called Giants and Lilikin. They're the two different sizes. When she's giant size and she's running around in the world with all the Lilikins, the Lilikins can see right up her skirt. Like, there's no way they're not just staring right at her crotch. Like, it's just like, I, I feel like there's some kind of oversight there. Yeah. Um, so, they get, so they get shown this, like, in a very long, long, very, very long and detailed and elaborate and story-driven hour-long sequence of tutorial shit where you get to play maybe one fight. Which is what you're about to see, because yeah. this is the first hour of the game we're showing They here. just go on and on, and like, I mean, like you've never played one of these games. That's the weird thing, is this game is like very much set up to be like my first JRPG in a lot of ways, Yeah. but the only reason you would ever want to touch this game is if you're a giant Final Fantasy nerd and you want to see all these nostalgic things in it. So let's talk about that. So, so like, I'm like, I don't know where, I don't know who this game is for. So there's all these cameos, right? You have, oh, tons you have of it, characters yeah. from the series' entire history coming yeah, into this game. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I haven't seen too many. I'm like ten hours in. I haven't seen a ton. I've seen uh, the Warrior of Light from the original Final Fantasy. I've seen. Uh, What's the context for them appearing? Th- or is there okay. any context? Okay, buckle up, kids. <laughs> so they get shown into the world, this world of grimoire, which is you know, unlike this, like you know modern sort of rustic medieval Europe Tokyo 1995-ish sort of world uh, is, I guess, more of a high fantasy place. And that's where everybody's uh, chibi, uh, except the monsters aren't, but the people are. Okay. And uh, that's mostly like kind of sword and sorcery castle stuff, except there's a train that a cactar drives. So <laughs> that what? gets you placed to a cactar. It's the... It's the um, the cactus enemy from Final Fantasy with like the where, like, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. has no right. animation, yeah, and it yeah. also has no animation in this. It's, it's everything <laughs> is just frames. Um, and there's, I mean, so like the the meat of it is that like the they're like you know chosen one soldier ma- master things, and the and the monsters are called mirages, and they gather mirages just like exactly like Pokemon. They're like you you run into them in, in the wild in the dungeons. And you you scan them with Libra, and you find out what their little weakness is, and like you do that weakness move to them, and they'll get like this ring around them, which means and they're you, weakened you, basically. Yeah, yeah, but it also it's not just getting their hit points down. You have to do the thing that makes them capturable. You have to give them a status, basically. Yeah, yeah I mean, one of well, some of them is like reduce their hit points with physical attacks, or reduce their hit points with uh, fire, or so res- just like Pokemon, res- or restore their hit points, <laughs> or uh, cause confusion on them, that kind of thing. Um, and uh, once they do that, you can you have prisms. They go in the, the these prismariums. They're called where they go in, like they're like little, little square snow globes they live in, and you can imprism them. <laughs> and it's just like Pokemon. They throw the thing at the guy. Go- at the, is that the, what they're yeah. showing right here? 
Uh, yes, that is a prismarium. Uh, so they throw the thing at the at the monster, and it, a, a light, like a blue circle, envelops them, and it flashes three times, and they're ca- and they're just caught. like just Pokemon. like Pokemon. and or they'll break out if you haven't done it right. Basically. Right. Um, so you're supposed to build your army, and then the way you, you each character can carry can have two mirages with them at one time, and they stack them on their heads. And that is how you they have what? Your, you, 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 If you're in the big form, you can stack a medium-sized monster on your head and then a small-sized monster on top of the medium-sized monster. If you're in your chibi form, you can ride a large-sized monster, and then you are medium-sized, and so then you have a small monster on top of your head. And you can have totally two different configurations for each character based on small and large versions. Now, how do you use the Pokemon, quote-unquote, in battle? Those are what you're stacking on your head. Right. So, any, but how does it work? Like, it's basically you form, you create a, a, a conglomerate character based on your stack. So, oh, got you, got you. So, say so it just gives you buffs, basically. Uh, or and also your abilities. So, like, say you find like a black mage, whatever they call it in this. Uh, he's he's electric in this, so he can cast thunder. So you stack the black mage thing on your head, and now you can cast thunder. And it does. And the attacks you, don't actually come from the critters, do they? Sort of. Like you you. Like when you do a, a melee attack, all three of the your character and the two monsters with you all do like a swipe, oh, or whatever. Okay, got or it. like, or you'll see like you'll cast, you'll do the cast thing, but the but the the black mage on your head will also do the cast thing, and then like, uh, and like individual ones can be you know hit with status effects. So like if you if like your monster gets hit by confuse, it can't cast any of its spells. So you have to rely on your other stuff, uh, and then like if you get hit too much by unsta- destabilizing moves, you, your your stack can topple, so you can all fall over, and that like stuns you for like almost a turn. Uh, you can unstack if you want, because like your hit points are like the total of all three things, and so if you want, if you're about to get killed, you can unstack, and all of a sudden now you're three separate targets. And you can kind of, and they can all move individually. Gotcha, so you can, gotcha. So, you can, so there, there is There's a little bit of strategy to it. Yeah. Um, the most of the strategy comes in uh, trying to capture things, like like the actual just getting through the dungeon and fighting the bosses. So far, I'm like three dungeons, three major bosses in. Um, it's mostly just been standard RPG tank and spank kind of stuff. You know, it's, it's just like you know, keep keep your hit points up. You know. Hit them with what you can. Figure out their weakness. Hit them with lightning, whatever. Um, but like when you're trying to like maneuver stuff around to get the right like situation to get the prismarium thing active, that's where the actual strategy comes in. Is trying to build your Pokedex. Um, and of course, there's a there's a weird militaristic guy in a giant suit of armor that wants to take over the whole world, and you have to fight against him. And you go from town to town, and everybody realizes, oh, you are the the great, the great whatever hero we've been waiting for. But, but we don't remember. Oh, and at one point, it turns out your mother was even better than you, and that's about like it was a hundred years ago. So like the, the this that town that they're in here with the with the uh, the Starbucks, like time doesn't exist there. So they've like maybe been in like this Starbucks limbo for like a hundred <laughs> years or something. Are you kidding me? Um, so getting to the Final Fantasy character stuff. So some of the monsters are Final Fantasy. Like there's a Choco, there's Chocobos and there's Moogles and the Cactar guy is the train engineer. And you also fight Cactars every once in a while. They all behave the same way. You know, the Cactar runs away if you don't kill him before he gets his first turn. Everything right. like that. But the the characters like you'll run into like um, the two Ra, uh, uh, Rain and Lon have like a, whatever like some kind of ability to channel. God, what are they called? I think they're called miracles or something like that. But basically, they're heroes. And like, so like, some one of the captains of the guard, brigade captains, like pr- protects the princess at the beginning, 
and the rain land like want to help him, but they can't get to him. But then light flies out of their hands, and like he turns into the warrior of light from the original Final Fantasy. Oh, gotcha. And gotcha. so now they're like, "Oh, you are now the embodiment of the warrior of light, the legendary warrior." Everything is a myth in this. Everything, every Final Fantasy game apparently is a mythical story in this. <laughs> and, the, and then at one point, like you go into a forest, and Yuna's there casting her spell with her wand thing, just like in Final Fantasy X. And then, of course, she's like, oh, you're, you're, you're bad, and I'm going to fight you, so you have to fight her, and then you beat her, and she's like, oh, sorry, friends. sorry for fighting you. <laughs> and then she shows you, like, this carving and, like, of, this, of this woman who saved the world 100 years ago, and, she, and, of course, her earring is like, that's why your staff looks so familiar, because our mother wore an earring that looked just like the head of Yuna's staff, and it's like, so it's all that kind of stuff. So it's like Kingdom Hearts, but, like, I don't care. Like, it, it's yeah. like, because, like, look, I'm not a huge Final Fantasy fan. Uh, I love six. I loved six, uh, and there's a lot that you can. You don't dislike Final Fantasy dis- either. I, I dis- Obviously, you went and bought the game, so. Well, I also knew we were gonna have to talk about it, and you weren't <laughs> gonna play this shit. So, um, but it's uh, thank you. <laughs> and also, like of the two of us, I'm more the JRPG person. But yeah. like, this is not my kind of JRPG. Like, if I'm gonna pick a JRPG that, of my all-time favorites, it's gonna be stuff like Suikoden. And Skies of Arcadia and Final Fantasy Star 2 and yeah. Chrono Trigger. Final, Final Fantasy, like, maybe 6 might make the top 10. Final Fantasy 6 might make the top 10. Uh, that's about it. Like, wow. like I, I'm not a huge... I, I think after 6, with the exception of 12, which I like pretty much, uh, and 9, which I think is pretty good. 9 is good, yeah. Uh, the rest of them all range from terrible to kind of almost okay. Yeah, t- um, vaguely tolerable. And uh, so, like, a lot of... And a lot of this, this... You know, there is some cool Final Fantasy VI stuff in here, uh, up to and including uh, the the mech things. Wow. You, like, that's one of the large creatures you can ride on at one point, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, so I like a lot of that, uh, but, like, it's most of it's focused on, like, oh, if you like Final Fantasy VII and X and VIII... 13, like, like, I don't know, like, apparently Square thinks that there's still lightning, f- I guess lightning fans are about, abo- there are lightning fans, though they abound the in Japan, yeah. it's just very popular in Japan, there are, but I think most of the western fans seem pretty happy to see the tail end of 13's, yeah. you know, the, the fat, what was it, Fabula Nova Crystallis or whatever that was, yeah, um, and eager, eager to join up with the four bros in the convertible, uh, for 15, <laughs> that's the one thing I'm, I'm, like, almost, like, Positive about is like every three games, they uh, you know six, nine, twelve, maybe You're fifteen right. will be my, be, right. be, yeah. my be, you know be good for me. I'm not saying it's good objectively. I'm saying I like every third one. Basically. So what do you think about this one, World of Final uh, Fantasy? I don't like this game very much. <laughs> um, I don't understand who it's for really yeah. because because okay, one thing again, they're pushing the nostalgia button like crazy with Final Fantasy, which doesn't really work on me. So like. Already, you're like in the hole, but like, is that who it's for then? Just hardcore yeah, but except Final it's, it's Fantasy written, fans. It's written for like ten year olds. It seems you know, it's, it's really rudimentary. And I it's, mean, honestly, and it's I it, could say that about almost every Final Fantasy. Maybe not ten year olds, but like thirteen year olds. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You're, I mean, if you were twelve when what it, your your favorite Final Fantasy is usually the one that you were twelve when it when came out. When you played it, yeah. And that's the <laughs> that's the it's the like the old line about science fiction. It's like the golden age of science fiction is twelve, right? Because that, when you when you were twelve, that's the best science fiction you've ever read. Well, you're smart enough to kind of know stuff, but you're naive right. enough to believe it. But And also, you <laughs> haven't had a breadth of experience enough to, like, not realize that all of this is incredibly derivative. Right. You know? Yeah. 
And but the thing is, if you've played all these Final Fantasies, you've seen every single thing in this game over and over and yeah, over. And yeah. I don't know why this is supposed to be like exciting because it's like all I'm like, yes, they have amnesia and they have a mysterious past and they're helping everyone from town to town. I mean, it, it is JRPG the game. The reviews have been all over the map. They like, have. Some of the first reviews that kind of came out before everybody else reviewed it, like some of the big sites gave this game high scores. And it's been odd mm. to kind of see the reverse with this game you usually see, whereas as the smaller sites got access to the game and started publishing their reviews, they were actually more critical of it than mm. a lot of their big guys. Usually it's the reverse, but not with this game. I don't really know what's happening because, like, look... It's like Metacritic's at, like, 7 or something now. Somewhere it started around there, out at, which, like, 8.5. Which is closer to what I think... It, I mean, you know, I'd probably give this, like, a 6 out of 10 yeah. in the end. It's not, it's not grabbing me, and I have to force myself to go back to it. Yeah, it's not like... I'm not gonna be like, oh, this game's terrible. It's not because it's not. It's and there's just, a lot of game. It's oh, like yeah. a forty or fifty really hour long. game. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, it better be for the amount of time it takes to get going. Yeah. I mean, it it takes almost two hours before you're finally sort of set loose in an actual dungeon on your own without it constantly. And it still constantly tells you like you know press you know use potions to restore health. It's like yes, I know. I have played. Clearly, I have played these before because I bought your damn game. Yeah. That's like a tribute to like all these. Yeah. And, like, the other thing about it is, like, and Square's really bad about this, is, like, the cutscenes just, it, they, because Lan is, like, a goofball idiot, like, you know, comic relief. Well, there's just, always one in oh, every course. JRPG. Um, it's, it's a problem when the party's two people, though. Uh, but like, so he's, but the thing is like, it's not so bad when it's in text or when it was like, you know, kind of the PlayStation one era and like, you just sort of jumping through text like that. This is fully voiced and fully motion capture acted. And like in the middle of scenes, like Lan is doing that sort of Japanese, like slapstick comic relief thing that you see in like Kira Kurosawa movies and stuff where people are like, like run around, like, like yeah. do it, like, and it doesn't fit. Like no human being behaves that way, and like the rest yeah. of it's like super naturalistic. But like it's like oh, oh, I always oh, oh, like, that kind those of thing. up to and translation so, issues. It's not because it's but not. It's, not, really. it's not translation issues because it's 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 a culture thing. Yeah, it's it's a way of presenting like that kind of material. It's a dramatic yeah. choice, right? But I don't think that dramatic choice works outside of Japan. Yeah, I don't think it does either. Yeah. And the it dub, the the problem is doubled by the fact that like there's no way to do English voice acting that fits that tone no, at all. You're right. So you're I right. switched to the Japanese VO, which is DLC, by the way. You have to pay for it though, right? It came with a code in the in the really? box. Really? And I don't know. I mean, I don't know <laughs> if eventually if you buy this game like outside of the first print run, you'll have to pay Are for the. Are you kidding me? I don't know. Me? I don't know. It that came, is dirty pool. If that there was happens. a code in the. Day one edition whatever box that like it gave you like uh, a Sephiroth like summon and like two Colosseum there's a Colosseum that gave you two special Colosseum battles and it gave you the Japanese VO download wow um, and play that it that could play very it well in, cost money holy god play it in Japanese because it's so <laughs> much easier than listening to like the, the, the English VO is I mean they're doing their best but it's just like especially Tama the the cat floaty cat thing that yeah. constantly it's like the speech impediment where she says like she puts the in front of it show me how to the do it and how like all that like it's how you, know, you have done and there's no pattern to like what the the goes in front of it's just like you have this showed me how to do the potion of the thing it's like I don't understand why and every single time uh, only, if, only the if you lose a fight. Like okay. I don't, like I don't oh, know. Oh, the yeah, yeah. 
constant. And so like, just change it to Japanese so you can't understand it. Yeah. It's much easier. Why did they do that? So give me one thing that you really like about it. Can't think of one. Mm, music's good. Yeah, like that's about all I give. I don't like, and it's weird because it's like, you know, even the I don't even really like the character design. The faces are weird. Like Lon's got really like creepy teeth. Like I well, see, here's the thing. Like, like the cheesy, but like, I like, the, but I like that kind of style. It, you know, it's Nomura. It's it's only like two frames off Kingdom Hearts, which I really like the art style of. But this one just freaks me out. Here's the thing, though. The chibi art style wasn't created because it was an art style. It was created to give characters in 2D games faces that could emote. Right. Because, you know, you have a face that's really small, it's hard to tell whether they're smiling or they're crying or whatever, so they would make their heads huge so you could actually see the emotion on their faces. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of weird to see them adapt it to 3D here, because that wasn't the original intent behind that art style. Right. Well, that's the thing. It's like, and there's a lot of that like in this, not just in the art style, but in terms of like dungeon design, boss yeah. design, uh, the the combat in general. Like, there's a lot of um, using, you know, I guess using conventions of the old style of the genre that were there because of technological limitations. Right. Yeah. But now you're using it in a in a sense in like a context where you would never need to use them unless you wanted to and like for me personally I'm like I don't want to. Yeah. Like I guess that would be the closest I could get. It's like I don't and you know I don't even mind the chibi style in general but I hate this one. Yeah. Like I don't like the the weird square head thing they're doing and all that. Like like to me it, it there's nothing in this game pulling me through it. Like, there's nothing that makes me want to see what's Unless next. Unless you're the type of person who just loves turn-based battles. And look, I've, and again, I've been there in my life. Where well, I, I would like just sit there and battles. just grind I, through turn-based battles. I like turn-based battles. I just played the Suikoden's again yeah. like, a year ago, and I loved them. Like, yeah. it's not the turn-based. It's the fact that, like, I think the story is idiotic. Which and, it probably is. And it's written for, like, I don't know who... Like, that's the thing. is like, you're writing it for children, but it's... Is it really written for, like... Children. It feels it like it feels level? like it yeah. to me, and like, but except it's like clearly for people who are like fans in their thirties who, who have been playing these games forever. Years. You know, <laughs> it's the same thing I feel about um, the book Ready Player One, which is one of the most terrible things I've ever read. But like, you you so there's people that excuse it as like, oh, it's for like young adults or for younger kids. Because you know, I'm like, but it's ri- everything in this book is an '80s reference. Yeah. Like no kid no is gonna kid's understand gonna any of this. Yeah. So it's written for like 40 year olds, but it's written at like a fifth grade level. So right. what am I? What are you doing? Like, yeah. so that's kind of my question about it. I guess, and like, I guess it really is gonna hinge on whether you just, if you're one of those people that, as they say, squeeze when they see a Final Fantasy thing that you recognize, yeah. you'll probably get something out of this game. And every once in a while, you know, every once in a while, you're like, you get this little, like, you know, little cute monster, and you're like, oh, when that evolves up far enough, that's clearly going to be like the Behemoth Summit or right, whatever. Right. And like, that's cool. It's a cool little reference, and you get like these really cute versions of them. But it's like that, like that trick works on me incredibly well in Kingdom Hearts, and yeah. it doesn't work on me here at all. Interesting. Probably because I liked Disney stuff growing yeah, yeah. up, and Final Fantasy was more like cool, but it was not you know, your thing. Yeah, and also like. I didn't grow up in an era where Final Fantasy was ubiquitous. We got we got Final Fantasy one on the NES, and then we got four as two and right. six as three. Right. Um, but we missed three games in there. Yeah, Meanwhile, yeah. I was playing Fantasy Star. Right. Like the whole thing. I was a Sega kid. Yeah. So that's probably part of it too. Yeah. And then yeah. By the time you don't have that affinity as a child. Yeah, for by it. the time seven came out, I was 
21 and was just like, no, that's, that's not, it's not deep, it's just confusing. And uh, I hacked my way through the rest of those, but I think Final Fantasy X was the first Final Fantasy I never finished. Um, I just gave up about two-thirds of the way through. And so, yeah, seeing Yuna, especially in like an art style I don't like very much, is not doing it for me. So this is for hardcore Final Fantasy fans who can sure. tolerate dialogue written for a younger audience. Yeah. And anyone who probably wants to get a lot of playtime at a 60 bucks. Yeah, I mean, it's it, the value just based on what I've game. seen, not short. The story is really taking its time. And you're still going to have to go back and play a whole lot to pick up all the things. All if you want like a full Pokedex, shall yeah, we say? Because yeah. um, like that's how many? How many of the creatures are there? I don't know, but there must be like a dozens, couple hundreds. hundreds. I would say there's a couple hundred. Okay. So, because I've captured so many already right. that there must be a lot. And the other thing is, like uh, the guy, the, the the big guy in Arbahamut, the big guy in armor, or you're you know, obviously eventually going to have to confront, but he's running the army, you know, because the bad guys are, like, basically heartless. You yeah. know, they, they're all, they're kind of black, but they in black, like, sort of inky, you know, nebulous form, but they also are wearing armor, so right. it's, like, it's, like, armored heartless, kind of, and, um... There's a thing. There's a thing where like they're his Pokemon, basically. So like you'll see like these red chains come out of the ground, and to indicate that they can't be captured because there's somebody else. They're owned uh, by him. Got you, got you. So basically, you have to beat the boss of a dungeon to free them, and then come back to that dungeon and capture all the stuff you couldn't capture before. You have to run the dungeon twice almost. Gotcha. gotcha. Um, so if you want to do everything in this game, it will last you until next year. I mean, so money's worth thumbs up, but. It's not for everybody. Not for everyone. Like you, you really gotta want it. And you know, with Final Fantasy fifteen just right around the corner, it makes it even more of a difficult sell for someone who's trying to budget their money yeah. for Q four and that sort of thing. Oh, and so. then someone in the chat, chat, the chat is talking about member berries from uh, yeah, yeah. from uh, South Park. Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. <laughs> totally. Um, yeah, with Final Fantasy fifteen right around the corner, like. It's a hard sell. Yeah. If Final Fantasy XV had been delayed to next year, like I would be like, yeah, this is kind of your Final Fantasy hit for yeah. the holiday season. Like the, like, the one thing I will say is like, I could probably see this being Final like Fantasy XV went gold, by the way. Nice. Yeah. At least it's actually happening. It is, yeah. Like, I, if, if Final Fantasy XV wasn't happening this year, like, I could kind of say, like, this is a pretty good Christmas game. Yeah. Like, this would be like a very pleasant sort of light Also the kind of game, game that an adult could buy a younger family member and feel totally so, uh, okay with it. <laughs> Somewhat, except for the whole, like, I mean, the girl's got a skirt that, like, yeah. stops at the very bottom of her ass. And, yeah. like, it's just, like, it, it's weird. That like, is it's, weird for a kid's game. Yeah. Um, she's also only 15, so you're like, what are you doing? Like, yeah. But, um... Have you seen the kids today, Matt? I try not to. <laughs> but, like... That's nothing, let me tell you. You go to a rave sometime, what the girls are wearing at those things, it's insane. Are you so. going to raves now? Not anymore, oh, okay. but, like... A few years ago, I did, and holy cow! Like I was like, wow. But the other thing I will say is like um, some of the some of the boss battles in particular, like not for wimps. Like, yeah. like if you don't know how this stuff rolls, if you haven't played your share of turn-based, like you give this to like a ten-year-old who's grown up on an iPad with Minecraft, they're gonna be like, what the hell? Yeah. Like, They'll like, learn about like a, grinding real quick. Right. Can you grind in this? Can you? Yeah, go you out can. Of the oh field yeah, you can and, grind. Yeah. Like, and like every that's the thing is like every monster. Um, Levels up separately. Uh, you do everything in your because you can carry like I think ten of them at once or eight of them at once. So like they all level up a little. You know if they're stacked on you, they get full XP. If they're not, I think they get half XP. So you they do keep up, 
But then they get every level up. They get SP. I don't even remember what that stands for. Probably special points. On a, then you have to go to their their magic their uh, their board. Their like level up board, like in Final Fantasy X, and uh, pick their their abilities. And then eventually you get you fill up the board and you can transmogrify them to the next evolution and stuff. But basically, you have to do that for all of them, like Jeez. every single one. And so you there is a lot of character level up micromanaging happening here. Um, I, the one thing I will say, yeah, I guess like my positive on it really would be uh, there is not a shortage of content here. Yeah. Like they are not. You'll get your money's worth. Yeah, if for, you're for so all, inclined for, for these all kinds the presentational decision making, I disagree with in this game. They this is not a cheap cash in. Like yeah. they did not just just poop out like a uh, a half ass game that like you know doesn't give you enough and just rides on the idea that you get to see these characters you like. There is a lot of game here. All right, but that doesn't help you if you don't. If like you don't the like game. it, yeah, exactly. So it's more of awful or awesome, depending on your perspective on these types of games. Yeah, like if you like the more if you if you're like listening to what I'm saying and be like, how can you not like Final Fantasy? Like, just ignore me. Like, yeah, you're gonna it. love it. Like, it's 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 for you. There's a lot of it. There's a ton of it. Yeah, it's terrible, and the portions are too small. No, um, there's a lot of it, and uh, it, it, it is what it is, and it does what it says. So at least that, I mean, that's almost getting rare these days it in is. games. All right, it, I mean, games like this are rare. How, when was the last time a console game like this was released? No, uh, I mean... Been a long... Especially this, one where you can see a big budget was poured into yeah, it. And, this, this, like, in, in, it feels like this would have been a handheld game. Uh, in another time. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is, like, if Final Fantasy XV had been released in a timely manner, I could see this game being numbered. Really? I could see this game being Final Fantasy XVI. Wow. Like, not in the sense that, like, it's epic and awesome enough to be its own thing, but, like, I could, I could see this... It's big enough. You can see it much It is big enough, but, but, I, but I could see it being, like, another attempt to pivot the series right. into, like, something new. To please old fans. As opposed to just the usual reinvention of the world into something else that has Sid and... And, and that's probably crystals. what a lot of this is, too, is that they are sick of a lot of the older fans complaining that, like, mm-hmm. it's turned into this thing that they can hardly recognize anymore. And they're like, well, here you go. This yeah. is what you wanted. You know, all the people that complained about them adding, like, real-time battles to the Final Fantasy VII remake. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, here you go. Here's your turn-based battles. Yeah, this is sort of the opposite of the Final Fantasy VII remake it is, yeah. in, that, in that sense. It's like, you know, it's like, we still remember. Yeah, kind of. On, on the, on the flip, you know, do you? I don't know. On the, on the flip side, it's almost like they're saying, like, yeah, we remember. We're intentionally not giving that to you in the one you want. Yeah. Or we're just going to show you why we don't do it anymore. That is also a very... I mean, you didn't need to prove that to me. That's an expensive way to prove yeah. something, though. All right, let's move on. Next, we're going to talk about Civilization Six. I got a code for this a couple days ago. I have not had a chance to even touch it. Um, I haven't even downloaded it yet. I have the code like printed out sitting on my desk while I work, and I keep seeing it there, and I just know that I just should <laughs> not touch that code because I know once I do... I'm just going to lose, I don't even know how much I'm going to lose, days, maybe a week. It, <laughs> I mean, Sam, this is one of Sam's favorite games, our TriCaster operator. He loves Civilization. Which one are you playing right now, Sam? Five. He's playing five. Are you going to get six? No. No? Why? Because it takes too much time? I don't have to break for it. I oh. Uh, mm. Sam's got a Mac. <laughs> Why did we hire this guy? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but Matt, you have had some time to play it, and you've been so. playing through it. 
Um, the reviews for it have been stellar. Mm-hmm. Well, stellar might be a stretch, they're up there. but they're really good. And most of the reviews are saying it's the best it's ever been, but... I don't know if it's better than 5 with all the DLC and patches and I everything. actually saw an exact quote that said it's like a Civilization game after all the DLC and yeah. patches. Yeah, it feels like they cooked this one longer. Yeah. Um, it's definitely way better than Civilization 5 was on release. That's that's not even... Which I still love, by the way. Yeah. Like, but like, people complain and it ran a little crappy, but I still played the crap out of Civ and I played. I haven't played a ton of it. I played through the tutorial and then that broke. Because um, the whole thing is you're supposed to... It in- introduces you to every single element of the game and then you're supposed to uh, beat um, Gilgamesh to conquer his capital city. And I did that and it didn't stop. <laughs> so it's like... That was the quest, was to do that. And I, it took me, like, a long time. I mean, I probably, I probably broke it because it took me too long. Because yeah. I take my time in this game. Then I played again. I played today. Uh, it was when, when we were <laughs> setting the show up. And you're like, I haven't had time to play it. So I'm like, I don't want to play it. And then, like, 300 turns went by. And then I realized I, <laughs> I, I, realized I had to get here. He almost missed the show. I really was wondering if you were going to make it. Yeah, it was... I uh, was like, what's up? Matt hasn't well, texted, like... Well, note that um, uh, I didn't realize this until I started thinking about it, but like, there is actually a clock in the game. Oh, really? Like, the, it shows the current time up in really? the upper right corner. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Warcraft style. No yeah. way! It knows. <laughs> you can see it's like Yeah, right I there. can see it up there. It's really small. So, Holy um, cow. I mean, it's, it's Civ. Like that's all I can tell you. Like, it's, you know, it's got that same kind of like it's got that same one more turn like addiction to it. Um, the you know, the main differences I would say, and I'm no expert on Civ Five, so some of this might not be super accurate. But um, the religion system is different. Like you can kind of cobble together your own religion as you you know into like like you can kind of cobble together your own cultural belief system out of a bunch of different options that will benefit you the most. So like. I tend to end up with sort of like you know I'm I'm a, I'm a uh, I'm a kind of oligarchical democracy, but I like my religion <laughs> is sort of like a harvest festival warrior prince sort of thing. So harvest, like I get harvest a, festival yeah, warrior prince. Like I get a lot of like advanced like you know like bonuses to my rare items and stuff and yeah. luxury items, but it also like makes my people happy when I kill things. So <laughs> because that's sort of how I roll. Yes, I am playing America. I don't know if you know. Um, but, uh, and of course... Uh, God, do you always play America? No. Uh, I, I usually I, do. In 5, I usually play Japan. Oh, really? Because uh, Samurai were... Broken. I'm saying your first playthrough. Is, like, uh, no. My first playthrough, I must always play as America. No, not necessarily. I, I usually play... I, on 5, I used to play Japan the most. And on Civ 2... Civ 2, I played... Um, Sometimes I play America, but usually I played, uh, uh, I want to say I played Egypt for early game. Because, like, once, at a certain point, you pass a certain point, and, like, you're, you're amazing. Yeah. And, like, early game stuff is more useful to me, usually. Yeah. So, in my game, I think I'm, like, four cities. I have four cities. Um, Gilgamesh is, like, owns half the planet. Like, I don't know how I'm going to... I'm really good friends with him. So I, at, some <laughs> point, at some point, I'm going to have to betray him. But I think he's working towards a cultural victory. So I'm, and I'm just like, it's hard. Like, I, I, I put one city in the ro- totally in the wrong place. Like, I, it's much more... You need to be very careful about where you're putting your cities because uh, they need access to water. Yeah. And, uh, but that's and an old tenet It's an old tenet, but, like, I feel like there should... I feel like I'm missing something because I'm like... 
like you know, Washington is, has more food than it knows what to do with, and Los Angeles is starving. And I'm like, you're like 20 miles from each just other. Just make like, it work. Yeah. It's in the trader, <laughs> and the trader's just sending gold back and forth. I'm just like, I don't know what to tell you, boys. Yeah. And, and I, 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 you know, I sent the builders out to kind of like, you know, like establish some farms, but there's, there's all hills, so they'll just make mines. So right. I was like, okay, well, I, so I build a theater district so that at least while they're starving, they can watch a play, <laughs> and that keeps the, that keeps me like right below the angry level. So yeah. um, that but, actually sounds a lot like uh, the Great Depression. Oh yeah, well, most, everyone was starving, but they were would, still going to see movies. You wouldn't want to live in my <laughs> civilization. Usually, I, I just that's sort of a, a rule. I mean, as soon as I get nuclear weapons, like <laughs> is that's been, I'm playing the waiting game with Gilgamesh until I can nuke his capital city. That's basically what's happening here. Um, and you know, eventually, once I, that's kind of my learn the ropes playthrough. I mean, yeah. I'll go back and play one where I try to be like a responsible adult, yeah, yeah. like at some point. But like, you know, the first time through, it's like now. I just want P-51 Mustangs and nuclear bombs. That's I mean, my first playthrough, I always go for military victory, yeah. usually. It's usually the easiest way to oh, yeah. attain victory as well, so... I turned off all the victories for this playthrough except for cultural and military. Because uh, cultural is, like, the hardest one to get, and I figure if I lose that way, like, I deserve to lose. Yeah. So, and actually, but then it turns out, like, Gilgamesh is really kind of kicking my ass. Wow. On, on the, all on the with culture. Well, because he's so Kill prosperous, him with culture. he's so prosperous, he can do that. And meanwhile, I'm just like, I can nine turns just to turn out a damn swordsman here. Right, get, right. Like I, I didn't. I started basically in the tundra, and so it's, it's. I'm trying to basically force my way south to like better areas. Right. But he so started in like Canada. Yeah, but he's already sort of like kind of come around the side and, like, kind of cut me off, and he's starting to put, like, his spearmen just sort of, like, yeah. where I'd want to put my cities. And I'm just like, like, oh, no, we're just hanging out here. We're all friends, right? Yeah, yeah it's great to see you. I'm just like, oh, I'm going to have to kill your ass, aren't I? And, um, you know, and, like, things I like, love, though, that's, like, the mental games that you play while oh, yeah. you play this game. Like, that's one of the things I love about it. Like, there are some times where you get to that turn where you're like, this is it. This is the turn mm-hmm. that will determine, like, a domino. This is what they'll write the history books about. Seriously, and I will sit there sometimes <laughs> for, like, 15 minutes, get up, get to mm-hmm. make a sandwich, like, come back, <laughs> start eating the sandwich while I'm staring at the screen and just, like, thinking about it, rubbing my temple. Like, I love that about Civ, man. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just playing Civ. There, there's just this mode that you get into that you never get into with any other game. And I just, I love it, and I, that's exactly why that code has been sitting on my desk and I haven't put it in yet because I know it's going to happen. Like, my favorite is when, uh, is like when you're planning to do something and then something happens and you have to completely turn around and do something yeah, different. Yeah, yeah. Because I was like originally Usually planning... Usually I just start the game over. Well, I was like... ri- no, I was originally planning to kind of try to contain Gilgamesh. Um, but then... Uh, I, then it was discovered that there was just every barbarian in the world north of me, like up up in the real top of the Arctic area here. I'm not on like a real map. It's like it's like a large like Pangaea kind of thing. Yeah. But up here, like six barbarian settlements, and they kept constantly sending these warriors. And they're not like dangerous, but they were just like they kept pillaging my farms. And at one point, they ruined my entire educational district. And I'm just like, oh, now it's on, son. You, you burn the library. We come for you. So I completely changed. So I just, like, set up I set up a couple of spearmen here. And then I just, like, built all these units and just went, like, pushed north. I'm like, I'm going to yeah. get rid of all the barbarians. And then I'm going to uh, deal with Gilgamesh. Yeah. And by the time I was done doing that, 
which I finished right before. Uh, and originally, I was like, I'm just going to send a bunch of, you know, a couple of infantry up. They're going to, like, you know, move through. I know they can do it. I've got a policy thing. Uh, my gov- government type, you get to set all your policies with these cards. Yeah. And it, um, I had, like, bonuses to, like, fighting barbarians. So I knew that was going to be, and, like, my characters were leveling up. And I was like, you know, they were a fighting force. They were useful. But then, like, the barbarians turned out to have, like, like ships and stuff. I mean, they, they, <laughs> these are some very advanced barbarians. I ended up having to establish Los Angeles as a port city. Build a bunch of quadrimes and like send them up like around to like because they because I couldn't get my spearmen uh, close to the yeah. cities because they were like and then by the time I finished that like Gilgamesh has conquered two of the other four uh, uh, civilizations. Yeah, see, there are certain points in this game where it's like you're singing Kenny Rogers the Gambler and like <laughs> you just you got to know when to fold them. Like mm-hmm. otherwise you can just go bang your head against a wall for like a week and just still lose. And, and I so, love the. The, in the tutorial, I did a thing where, like, you know, in preparation for attacking Gilgamesh, I just started lining all my guys up, you yeah. know, right along his border. You uh-huh. know? And, and at one point, he pops up, he's like, I know what you're doing. <laughs> I'm like, what? No, what? We're, just, we're just passing through. We're on our way to Orlando, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and then, like, he struck out with all the... Right. But the one thing I did notice when I was taking his thing over was, like, um, he, I mean, it was probably because it was a tutor- tutorial on a very low difficulty, but my ranged units were gods. Like, I just, like, parked all my crossbowmen and these, like, the Egyptian um, special unit, which is, like, uh, a chariot with, like, ranged attacks. Yeah. Parked them two spaces away from the cities and just bombarded until they fell. And then, like, the problem was, I, I'm like, oh, these guys are all great, so I'm going to make a ton of crossbowmen. I forgot... You cannot conquer a city with a ranged unit. No, you can't. And so I, yeah. at one point, his capital was empty. It was done. And I, you had no I, one to send I, had, I had to build a melee unit in my capital city. So I had to like spend like four turns. Oh yeah, I just had to just keep bombarding it with like you know like a catapult and like two like crossbowmen units until I was able to like move some guys in and take it over. So it sounds like Civ. It's Civ, like no question. It is Civ. In um, all its glory. With a couple of, you know, little tweaks. The, the religion system is pretty cool. I don't really understand it fully yet, but, like, it's 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 better to, to me. And, you know, and to me, it's, it's... And I don't know how much of that was from 5, but, like, it was better than, you know, just having to pick uh, Christianity or right. Islam or Judaism or Hinduism or whatever. Like, you know, it was be- it's better than pigeonholing you into the real-world religions. Yeah, like, you yeah. get to kind of construct what is more, most beneficial... For which your is what people do. Anyway. Which is exactly <laughs> what it. Yeah, it's like yeah, I'm I'm up in the north and I want like some kind of Norse style like you know snow god thing yeah. going on. So that's that's how we did it. Or like the harvest festival thing was useful to me because uh, resources were so scarce that something that gave me a bonus on those resources, uh, you know. But also like it's great because that makes sense. Like a, right, if you yeah. live in a terrible bleak snow blasted hellscape, like. Of course, you're going to celebrate the harvest because it's like the only good thing that happens to you all year, yeah, right? Yeah. So like, it, 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 there's a lot of thought in there, and then the the, the government policy. There's a lot of different government types now, way more than before, I think. And then like, you have card slots, and you you unlock all you know research. You have civic research, and then you've got tech research, and like you unlock all these different cards that you can like slot in the military or diplomatic or you know creative sides and stuff, and that gives you a way to like, customize. The effects of your type of government on like every, how that all happens and like there's so much in there. Also, the, the amount of systems in oh, this yeah. game. Also, also it's a re, from what I've seen, it's a resource hog. 
It like, is. It, it like, is. will bring your rig to its knees. I mean, it's no Battlefield 1. Right. Battlefield 1, uh, I could smell the graphics cards. Wow. Like, I was like, oh, you're working. <laughs> like, you're working hard right now. Um, but it is, I mean... Smell the silicon. I can't max it out without... Uh, uh, there's some, some effects, like, during some of the big battle stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, it'll drop the frame rate down to 40 or so. Wow. I mean, not that frame rate matters in Civilization, yeah, yeah. But, I, but yeah, I'd, I'd, uh, I had to ease up on a couple of the high-end uh, huh. effects stuff. Another game where you're getting a lot for your money. Oh, yeah. Also... It's like people uh, who ask me, they're like, what's the best game I can buy if I'm cheap? And I always tell them, just buy a Civ game. Yeah. Also, if, the, As long as you um, have a laptop or whatever that can run it, like you will get endless replay value out of that game. And last weekend, we talk, I talked about Mafia 3 having the best licensed soundtrack. Of the, yeah. this, this is the best original soundtrack of the... I, I, really? I, I, peg, I will call this my favorite original music of the year so wow. far. Wow. I really like the wow. music. Wow. I really like the music in this That's game. That's a big statement. Wow. Sounds like you love everything about it. Yeah, I mean, Civilization. I mean, yeah. it's like, I don't have much else to say beyond this. Like, you know what you're getting. You know what you're gonna, you know what's gonna happen, too. You've been addicted to this since we were teenagers. We know what it is. Yeah. I can't wait to play, but I can to- I'm totally trying to avoid it. Well, I didn't I mean, look, I didn't even really want to play it today. I had other things to do, but we had to, you know, talk about it on the show. So I'm like, yeah. all right, I'll sit down. I'm like, man, four hours went yeah. by. Like, it was just like, <laughs> I'm hungry right now because I forgot well, to I eat before said, I came here. I know, when you said, yeah, maybe I'll give it a couple turns. <laughs> I was like, got him. What does like, that even ah. mean? <laughs> <laughs> I knew once you did, like, five turns, you were done. Yep. I knew we'd have a great discussion like we just did, so... I'll probably give it a go this weekend, maybe, for a little bit, um, but... Unfashionable says each civilization has unique music. Oh, wow. Per country you pick and per era, which I thought that's what was happening, because like, I'm playing as America, and the music felt real American in yeah. comparison to, like, the Egyptian-style music. Was it, like, when Elvis? I was... <laughs> no, it's like, it's like some country sort of, like... Oh, really? It's like some, you know, it's, it's a lot of songs that sound like a song, but aren't a song. Right, you know, if you right. play enough major sevens, you can kind of get yeah. to anything, but, like... It's like this sort of this country song that sa- it just sounds American. I don't know. I guess it sounds like two frames off of you know I'm proud to be an American. Right. That song. It, it's it's that kind of song sort of played sideways, and you you just get the feel. You know, it's yeah. It's almost like the Sims language, where like you know what they're saying. Probably even lots of snare drums. Yeah. And like, <laughs> and like it's yeah, it's it's really really well put together, and like you know especially especially having played Civ uh, Five when it came out. Like, this is a night and day different. Like, this is a very polished game already out of the gate, which is uh, a change from 4 and 5. Yeah, yeah. You know, five, 5 in particular, yeah. like, took a, long, a lot of DLC, a lot of patches, a lot of expansions to really get it up to snuff. And I would say Civ, Civ 6 is ready to go right now. Like, no, no, has, I would say no hesitation. Buy it for full price uh, if you love Civilization. It's, it's solid. There you go, Sifters. Four exit up. Let's move along. We're going to talk about what everyone has talked about this week. In fact, this has been talked about so many times by so many different people that I almost cut it from the show, but it's, I feel like it's too important. Also, I did not listen to what everybody else said because I figured we were probably going to talk about mm-hmm. it, and I didn't want to come on here and just kind of regurgitate what everyone else has been saying. Uh, and we've actually talked about this kind of off the cuff a little bit in the past on the show. Uh, for those of you who have been living under a rock for the last, like, three or four days, essentially what happened is Bethesda announced that it was not going to send out pre-launch review code for Dishonored 2. Not only did it say that, it also said that it was changing its policy for good, and that from now forward, it will never be sending out early review code 
two games journalists. Meanwhile, that very next day, YouTubers had copies of the Skyrim remaster and were playing it and posting video of it. So, I believe Bethesda's exact statement was, we want everybody to be able to play it together at the same time, and then they gave it to YouTubers. So it begins. Yeah, where do we even begin? <laughs> well, actually, where do we begin with this? Because the so let's go back in time a little bit. So let's talk about Fallout Four. Fallout Four was a game that the it will go down in history, by the way, as the last Bethesda game that was sent out early to journalists, mm-hmm. and it was Zoom sent out. Did not. It was sent out way early, like. And the embargo for the reviews was up like a week before. Ultimately, I would say most people would agree that Fallout 4 was a disappointment. A good to great game, but a disappointment and not as good nor as compelling as Fallout 3. But Or New Vegas. Or New Vegas. Or Skyrim. Oh, definitely not Skyrim. Skyrim's <laughs> in a whole other stratosphere, really. But if you go back and you look at the sales of Fallout 4, they're, they're insane. And look, one thing I will say is that Fallout 4 did not have the legs that Fallout 3 had. And definitely not Skyrim. I mean, mm. I don't know if there's any other game other than maybe I, The Witcher 3. I don't think even know. Bethesda was ready for what Skyrim did. Yeah, I mean, it's, that's just a game that's in a league all by itself. But if you look at Bethesda's other games other than that one, like, it still didn't have the legs that Fallout 3 had. Like, Fallout 3 was still in the top ten, like, six, seven months later. Fallout 4 was pretty much gone from the sales charts within, like, a month and a half or two months. So, while it didn't have the legs that those other games from Bethesda had, they still made so much money. And Mm. the reviews did end up being bad. I think in Metacritic, it's sitting at, like, in the... 85 or something like that, which is... Which is generous. Which is... I think that is a little generous, yeah. But you look at Fallout 3, I mean, it was like nines, plastered with nines across the board. And so it did end up getting lower review scores than a lot of Bethesda's other games, but at the end of the day, it didn't really affect the bottom line for Bethesda. And I think that... a lot better than wet. Yeah. And I think that is when the light bulb went off with Bethesda, and it was like, hey, wait a minute. And fast forward to Doom. Doom, which had a beta, a multiplayer beta, which most people said was terrible. I played it. I thought it was okay. I thought it was really simple for a first-person shooter. But I still had fun with it. And I was like, look, I'm, I would not pick up Doom and say, hey, you know, this is the shooter I'm going to play for the next year. That's just uh. not how I look at a game like Doom. And Doom's not set up to be that way. Like, that's not the type of game it's going for. But it was railed on. And then they don't send out the review code early. And everybody was like, oh, well, you know, with the response to the beta for Doom, the multiplayer, you know, they're probably just afraid. And they're afraid people are going to say the game sucks and the sales are going to totally take a nosedive. Game ends up being amazing. Yeah. Multiplayer wasn't amazing. It was serviceable. No. But the campaign was amazing. Yeah. And it sells well. And so I think at this point, they're like, what is the purpose of reviews? What is the purpose of reviews, Matt? Um, like reviews in general or video game reviews? Video game reviews, yeah. 
I don't really know anymore. Really? Like, I don't think they mattered for a while. And I say that as someone who writes them. Like, there's like a certain circle of enthusiast types, and we all read them, and we some of us write them, and we all argue about them, and freak out about the scores, and look at the Metacritic, and da 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 uh, and in terms of like the actual consumer base that makes these things mega hits, they don't even know those exist. Yeah, like, I don't think I don't think it matters. You're talking about the casual audience, right? I'm talking about the, the peop- people who take a game from two million, two million in sales to, to, to six 15 million, yeah, or whatever. Yes, exactly. Like the people that made this the bigger business than the movies yeah. in the last you know 15 years or so. You know, like, not the people that you know, not those of us who suffered through the Dreamcast. Yeah, uh, the people that jumped on board when suddenly they looked good. Yeah, you know. When Call of Duty hit it big, right, and some of them have stuck around. And slightly before that, I think you know Halo was yeah. was, part, was kind of the beginning of that Zerg rush of new people that didn't touch a game before, and all of a sudden it was cool. Um, those I people, don't have a problem with those people. I think yeah, you know that's that's great, you know, because that led to the bigger budgets and the better, you know, the the, the expansion the of the industry. Games, yeah, for all and the us. expansion of the industry is why you you even have these smaller weird indie games now. I mean, that kind Absolutely of created right. that market for us to to enjoy and for other people to enjoy. So I don't, I'm not trying to gatekeep video games against yeah, yeah. you know the casuals or whatever. But I also don't think those people read video game reviews. They listen to word of mouth from their friends or the you know whatever. I mean, maybe people like us. Are are somewhat important, you know. Like, they pick a brand they pick, and yeah. they support it. Period. And they'll like, see they don't... they'll see a commercial and they'll think it looks cool. And when they buy it, I, look, my casual gaming friends who like see a commercial for something and like go ahead and buy it uh, without asking me about it, I have never seen them do that and say, "Oh, I bought this. I don't like it." They always like it. Yeah, they see what they they see what they see. They like what they see. They play it and they accept what it is, no matter what it is, and they like it. Yeah, like even if it's something I hate. I know. do have a lot of conversations with my more casual playing friends, mm-hmm. and you know they've known me for a long time, and they know I'm a critic, and I've been working in the industry for a long time. But a lot of times when I talk to them about video games that we've both played, and I'll share a criticism about the game, they'll go, "Really." Mm-hmm. Like, they're completely shocked. They're just like, what? <laughs> there was something you didn't like about that game? Because I loved all of it. Like, they're very forgiving. And a lot of it might just be that, you know, they're just a fan of that brand. And that is a lot of it. Like, a lot of my more mm-hmm. casual friends, they have franchises that they buy, and they buy them every time. And maybe, like, once per console generation, they will find one game that becomes a new favorite franchise for them. Mm-hmm. So, like, last generation, several of them, like, became Assassin's Creed fans. And you know what? Like, they still bought Syndicate. You know, mm-hmm. even though all the reviews were like, hey, they're like, oh, no. And then, you know, when they talk to me about it, they're like, yo, bro, did you love Syndicate? And I'm like, nah, it was okay. They're like, what? Like, <laughs> they live in a different world. Mm-hmm. Like, even though I've given them all free subscriptions to Sifted and whatnot, and they do visit every once in a while, and they're like, wow, it's a really cool site, man, I'm proud of you, and it's amazing what you've done, and blah, blah, blah. Like, they're still not like us. Like, right. they still don't look at games the way that we do. Like, you know, for us, it's it's like an obsession. For them, it's something that they do and they're bored. Mm-hmm. And so I think their standards are a little lower, and like... Sometimes they look for things like just mindless entertainment and blasting. They don't. Yeah. They don't analyze games. Well, it's like it's like on movies. Another level. It's like the other day I saw like a comment from somebody on YouTube, and one of their comments about 
sifted in our show is that the content's too in the weeds for me. <laughs> and basically, he was saying, like, I'm not that hardcore of a gamer. Like, the, their show is, like, hardcore, and it's too hardcore for me. And somebody replied to him, and they were like, well, what do you want? And they're like, you know, the guy was like, I'd be cool if they just talked about the same shooters, like, every week. Like, what's the new update on Call of Duty oh God, Infinite I'd Warfare that we got? myself. But right, but that's, <laughs> but I'm just trying to, like, put it in perspective, right. like, how there's these different kind of buckets of gamers. And I think what Bethesda has realized is that the bucket that doesn't care about game reviews is the biggest bucket. Oh, yeah. And I'm surprised it took them this long, frankly. Yeah. And here's Especially because, look, Bethesda doesn't release that many games every year, and almost everything they do release is basically bulletproof in yeah. terms of, of, like, public opinion. Like, you know... And here's the thing for and the us. Thing, like, look, everybody in the... Th- you know, you look at enthusiast sites or forums or whatever, and you, you'll get endless people complaining about how Skyrim is garbage, and it's, you know, it's super shallow, and there's nothing here, and it's the same thing as Oblivion, and Oblivion... No one cares. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm, look, I don't care either because I love Skyrim. Um, you know, I, I know you're, you know, and I've, I've, I've been on, uh, on a couple of, of podcasts at one point where they, where my, some other, some people I knew, like, like brought me in because they wanted to have a Skyrim versus Dark Souls argument. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, okay. And like, and it turned out they wanted to have like a big argument. I'm like, I don't. I don't see how these are the same at yeah. all. Like, I, you know, it was just part, it was part of that sort of evolution of the Dark Souls fan base, where like they suddenly decided that every single game in the world should have combat like Dark Souls. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I don't. I I I love Skyrim, but I also love Dark Souls, and I wouldn't want. And I don't want to have like both of them yeah. be the same. Yeah, and, I, and it's fine. But, you know, I'm like, yeah, Skyrim's combat is kind of blah when you play for a hundred hours, and I'd like to see it. You know. The next one be a little more involved, but I don't want to see it become Dark Souls because, yeah. and it won't be because then they won't sell ten million of them. Right. Because people are going to pick it. That's when people would pick it up, and it's not what they expect it to be. Because, like you say, you know, it's it's if it's the the favorite franchise of kind of the more casual audience, they don't want massive innovation every time a new one comes out. They want to play the thing they like to play before. Because the thing is, is they didn't play the three or four games like that that came out in between that release. Like, they only played Fallout 3 and Fallout 4. They Mm -hmm. didn't play all the other action RPGs that were released by other publishers kind of in between those releases. Mm -hmm. So they don't even have any context for how has the genre changed and how this other game did something different that was really successful. Like, it just goes right over their head. And even if you think it's something that you you would think it's ubiquitous, it sold like crazy... The Witcher Three is not known that much. It's not yeah. among the, that audience. And I bought a bunch of my friends who are of that that audience. I bought uh, Witcher Three for them for Christmas did last year. They stick year. with it. They did, and they, they did. loved it. That's but good. they had no idea it existed right. before then. They're like, "There's been two of these things already." Like- and and a couple of them actually did have trouble going back to Fallout Four after yeah. that, uh, which I think is a little. I mean, I didn't like Fallout Four that much, but like you know. It was more the fact that, like, once you've played, like, that Bloody Baron quest in, Fall- in Witcher 3, it's hard to go back to is, Bethesda yeah. quest design. No, you know, cause right. and, and, I mean, and it's the same, I think the same thing happens with more, you know, hardcore people with uh, New Vegas. Where once you've played New Vegas, particularly Old World Blues, trying to sell yourself into Fallout 4 is a very it's difficult tough. prospect. And here's the, the interesting thing has been watching the response from the press this week. Because I think what you've been seeing is the bigger sites feel threatened. Mm-hmm. And the smaller sites are actually like, 
Yeah. That's not so bad. <laughs> I mean, from our perspective, you know, we still don't get code from everybody. We don't get code from Sony, mm-hmm. so we have to buy the games and then review them as fast as we can. But we don't get them from everybody. These big sites, like, they've had a huge advantage for a long time because mm-hmm. being first with a review is huge. Huge. And so I saw a lot of the people from the big sites this week saying stuff like, well, what's going to happen is we're going to get th- rush through the game as quickly as we can because we need to get that review up. Basically, they're like, now we're going to have to live like some of the smaller guys. And they're mm-hmm. kind of lamenting like that. And then, you know, they're using, they're saying, well, you know, the, it's not consumer friendly, which is 100% true. I mean, this is mm-hmm. not a consumer friendly practice that Bethesda is bringing in here. It's not a consumer friendly industry. It's not. Yeah, but from our perspective, it's like, you know, with the few publishers that we're not getting review code from, this helps us. Because mm-hmm. suddenly we're not, like, already behind the eight ball before the game even comes out with some of these publishers where we're not getting code. So, and there's, you know, obviously hundreds of little game sites out there that are probably doing little cheers right now saying, yeah, <laughs> like, ding dong, the, you know, the witch is dead. Like, because here's the thing that where I think Bethesda is maybe a little short-sighted is with games like Dishonored. The first Dishonored, without, I believe, and maybe I'm wrong, but I believe in my heart of hearts that that game never would have been anywhere near as successful as it was if it weren't for the traditional press. I don't know if I'd go that far, but I really? do, I do think um, there was like a chain reaction there where like it got way better reviews than expected, and so people like us were like, oh, maybe I'll try it. And we tried it, and we liked it, and we told other people that we liked it, and they're like, oh, okay. And I think, because that game had legs. You know, that game wasn't... Did it? I thought it did. I thought it sold pretty well over the course of a period of time. I don't think so. I didn't think... Look, it didn't even really sell all that well. I didn't think it was a hit right out of the game. It sold like two or three million copies, like, ultimately. Mm -hmm. And so here, this is odd timing for this game in particular. Because the first game in this series probably wouldn't have done half the sales that it did if it weren't for the press... Mm -hmm. Breaking it, essentially. And saying, hey, look, there's this new franchise that's really cool. Because... But it sold about what you'd expect it to sell from the enthusiast, like, audience. Like, it didn't break into the 10 million zone. Yeah. You know? So, like, that's... And here's the thing. Like, you might be... I think you might be right that Bethesda's being short-sighted, but I think in a different way, in the sense that, like, um, there's such a thing as the core hit, like Dark Souls. You know? Like, Dark Souls sells about what Dishonored did. Right, yeah. And... Um, I think Bethesda is operating on the assumption that everything they put out is going to be Skyrim level, uh, Doom level, that kind of thing. I mean, look, if and I'm that th- company, I don't think I, I don't think have... Dishonored Two is going to be that. No way. But I, at the same time, if I were running Bethesda, I would want everyone to think that way. Like yeah. you've got to think that everything you make is awesome and it's going to mm. be a big hit. But I'm saying, like, okay, so if you're going to just forego enthusiast press, you're going to do it with prey. Yeah, that's the Prey other one. feels like it needs all the help. See, it can that's get. a perfect example. And I, like, and yeah, that's what I'm saying that like, you don't need that for Skyrim. You're not going to need it for Elder Scrolls Six. Like, you're not going to need it for do, for Quake, probably. Um, Although Quake, been away for a long time, still has cachet, but it's also probably going to be free to play. Yeah, I mean, more than likely. But like Prey, no, like, Prey. I feel like see, Prey. You got to get the word out. That's why I'm shocked that Bethesda made this blanket statement. Like. Do it for one game or whatever, or a couple games, mm-hmm. but they are going to need the press for Prey. They're going to need it. I mean, I'm sure they're looking at it like, well, we'll just give it to these 
YouTubers that we give, give everything to. Give it to the influencers, to. and we'll give it to you know, the previews and stuff. But in terms of reviews, because look, they I'm sure they have they've zeroed in on the YouTube channels that lap up everything that they make and say everything's awesome. They're the people who are saying Fallout 4 was the best game they ever played when it came out instead of the press who was like, it's good, but it's not as good as Fallout 3. There are plenty of YouTubers out there that are like, oh my god, this is like the greatest game I ever played. Like, Yeah, but they say that every Monday. Basically. They do. But the thing is, is that like for people like us who are a little older and maybe a little wiser, I don't know if that's the right word to use, but you've kind of, over time, you kind of learn to see through things. Like, you can get to the heart of things and get just kind of wipe away all the BS and be like, no, this is this. This is what's happening right now. When you're 13, 14, 15, it's so easy to get hoodwinked and to think mm. there's a lot of lonely people out there who think that these YouTubers are their friends. And, like, I saw some story yesterday about some, like, 12-year-old kid who all he does is he goes on social media and he tells girls how awesome they are how beautiful they are, and how they're a special flower. And he has literally become like an international star with no talent. Like, it is so overwhelming that the kid is learning how to play guitar now so he can parlay this audience that he's built on social media into something where he can make money. Like, it's, <laughs> it's insane. Like, everything is happening in, like, reverse now. It's like... Build the audience, then learn how to monetize it. Before, it was like you monetize something, and then that builds your audience. And well, not just with games, but like everything. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, consider what's happening with Twitter this week. Where, yeah. like, the, the sale failed because Disney and Salesforce decided that it was too toxic. Yeah. And now it sounds like they're, about, they're laying off, like, 9% of their, uh, their workforce in an, an effort to show that they're going to cut all the fat so they're more attractive. Because they want to sell themselves. Like, that's what yeah. they want. It's like... They're hitting, you know, that was always the concern about Twitter for years. It's like, okay, well, how do you make money on it? Like, it's huge and popular, and millions of people are using it. But wh what's the monetary model? And, like, what's the revenue model? And, like, no one had an answer. And it turns out the revenue model is sell it to a bigger corporation and run. Yeah. And That's and would, always been Which the has model. always been the model for <laughs> a lot of internet startups. But, like, yeah. um, but now it, it didn't work. And it didn't work because they weren't good enough at policing their service properly. And it's yeah. fascinating that you're starting to, you're starting to see even the giants in that space, not topple, but like some cracks are developing in the foundation. They also just got rid of Vine. Yeah, Vine is going away. Killed Vine. Imagine creating something as big as Vine is, and just and hmm. just I mean I would kill for Sifted to be a tenth of what Vine is. Think about that. And they're just like meh. Eh. <laughs> it's just like dandruff on their shoulders. Yeah. They're just like, eh. They'll free up some bandwidth. We'll yeah, I mean, that's people. really what yeah. it is. It's like a bandwidth play. They're like just trying to find a way to cut down the expenses so they can mm -hmm. look leaner and meaner and therefore the more block. attractive for someone yeah. to come in and purchase it. So, I mean, my biggest complaint about this Bethesda thing is, look, I understand that the majority of people who make games mega hits don't give a crap about reviews. But I don't really care about those people. Look, I have friends that are like that, and of course I care about them. I love them. They're my friends. But talking within the context of our industry, I don't really care about them. Like, mm -hmm. I care about the people who are in our chat right now. And I care about all the Sifted subscribers. And I care about the people that go to IGN every day or the people who go to GameSpot every day. Those are the people that I care about in this industry, and with a policy like this, those are the people who are getting screwed. And some people would say, like, and I'm sure there are people in chat right now saying, I don't care, like, you know, I know when I want a game, and I know when I like a game, and I go and buy it. And 
of course, they'll never admit to themselves that they, they're always going to say that they like it because they've made the commitment and they don't want to admit that they were wrong. But look at a game like Mafia 3. Mafia 3, is, everybody assumed Mafia 3 was going to be an amazing game. I guarantee there's either someone in this chat or someone watching this show on Sifted who got burned by Mafia there's 3. someone co-hosting this show. Who got burned by Mafia 3. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, like... I, I, look, so I, what protects you from Mafia 3's going forward? Which wasn't a terrible game, but it's like nobody pre-ordered that game assuming it was going to end up with like a 6 Metacritic. Like, mm-hmm. that just doesn't... That's not why people pre-order games. Well, part of it is also, like, here's the reason I don't... This is not a particular tragedy for me outside of the fact that I know a lot of people to get paid to do this, so, like, I don't like that. But if I was just a random consumer, uh, like... I pre-order a fair amount of stuff, but I pre-order in, in large part because I know who's making these games, I know who's publishing these games, I know what they are, I know what to expect. I get, I screw myself about once a year, I would yeah. say. So Mafia 3 was this year's, whoops, well, yeah. I blew that. Right. Uh, last year it was Arkham Knight. Arkham Knight came, blindsided me with how bad it was. Um, on the most, for the most part, though, I think I'm educated enough that I don't pick the wrong horse. Uh, there are games I wait and see on, uh, but there's a lot of games where I'm just like, no, I'm sure, let's do it, I'm in, pre-order, let's go. Uh, I waited on Syndicate, I did not uh, jump in on Syndicate until I saw some reviews, and yeah, they weren't great, but they were enough to make me realize, okay, it's not the same as uh, Unity, which didn't even work when it launched. Right. Um, but like... So I feel like I'm pretty educated when it comes to like what I know, what no, I like. No, you are in the top one percent right. of people who are educated. But like, so that's why it's not a huge thing to me because, like, look, um, Bethesda. And it's like, do I think this is going to become a major trend with all the other publishers? Maybe, but I don't think so because, like, look, Bethesda doesn't put out a that's ton the of big input. question. That's the monk. That's the up a lot of stuff. And look, that's the eight hundred okay, pound gorilla. They, they do. Let's say they do this. Okay, this is their policy from now on. Are you not going to buy Elder Scrolls Six? I'm going to buy oh, Elder Scrolls Six. Like, I don't. I don't care. Like, you know, it's like I don't. Well, look, they're still sending out games. But, they're just uh, not sending them out right. early. On the flip side, am I going to? You know, I mean, I probably will because we do this show. But like. Um, if I wasn't, if I had no obligation to play something, uh, you know, in a timely manner, would I buy Prey the day it came out? No, I'd probably wait and see what people had to say about it. I mean, that's probably a you might po- be, That's it, probably a poll I'll put up on Sifted. Is for like a poll of the day. I wonder it's if like, you're will impacting you buy, your day one sales. Doing will this? you buy Prey with no? With will you no insight. With no insight. With yeah. no reviews from traditional journalists, because it's also become kind of uh, in vogue to hate. Games journalists, mm-hmm. it's like, and I think a lot of it is just envy, and they hate the fact that like they're privileged. Like somebody on Twitter the other day, like I made a comment about you know how it's not a good idea to just accept what publishers tell you, and you should want some kind of insight before you're buying games. And somebody fired back at me like, oh, you know, you're calling the publishers money grubbers, which I didn't, although it is true. They're like the journalists are just being money grubbers because. They're losing like all their money from reviewing games early, and I'm like, games journalists live on the poverty line. <laughs> like, there's no money grubbing. It's like, also, what are you? Unless talking? you're talking about like, if I don't get money, I'm not gonna have any food to grub. Right. Like, that's not like, money grubbing going on with games. What are journalists. you talking about when you say something like that in the sense that like, 
The publisher is the one that wants your money. Yeah. Like, what do you think? Like, why do you think they're see, the trustworthy one? Here's Did the we learn nothing from No Man's Sky, people? But see, here's the problem, Matt. Like, there's this, and it's not even just like generational or whatever. There's just always this segment of gamers who look at the publishers and think the publishers care about them. They think that the publishers are like, oh, the fans, and you know, the publishers have been good about kind of convincing people of this with their own YouTube channels, with their community manager, who seems like a gamer, and their live streams where the mm. developers are there. Hey, guys. Thanks and for I, joining our stream. And I, and I know who is the best at it. Which publisher is the best yeah. at it? Which? Nintendo. Yeah. They're look, pretty good at it. Look at look at all the random goodwill that Switch thing has, has developed just because everybody thinks Nintendo's their best friend. Right. No, They're just, great. The Treehouse is brilliant at that. But every publisher, but they've all they all they foster all that on social media. Do it, some and it's all maybe malarkey. Not, maybe not Square. These trust me. These developers do not want to go on a live stream and play a game that they've been playing for three years mm. again. They don't want to do it. They don't care. Like these are companies, and I don't, I don't begrudge Bethesda for what it's doing. I don't begrudge these publishers for having their own YouTube channels and doing their own streams because at the end of the day, they're a business and a business's goal is to make money. The problem is that there's this whole group of gamers and younger kids who are just totally brainwashed by these corporations. I've been, I've said it on the show before, like, well, became kind I of don't blame the company. I blame... I mean, it is a little dirty because they do know that a lot of these people are young and very impressionable, and they know that it's easy to like brainwash them and to mm-hmm. convince them to do things that if they were a little older, a little more level-headed, they wouldn't be doing. And so, there's they're not completely innocent in this whole thing. But the bottom line is, you know, their job is to make money, and they're trying to maximize profit. And if that's what they're doing, then you can't begrudge them for making decisions like that. So. There's no easy answer to this. There never is. Well, the answer is buyer beware. Is yeah. What it is. I mean, like. But you can't beware if there's no reviews before well, the you can game wait a comes few days. out. Right. And not pre-order. That yeah. seems to be like what a lot of people are saying. That's the be all end like, all. I of totally this is just understand the desire. Like, oh, I want to be playing this when everyone else is playing it. When it first comes out, the night it comes out. I mean, I mean, I'm missing Titanfall right now. You know. Yeah. But like, if you have no information. Like that, you know. Look how how many people that are furious about No Man's Sky and had to go through the refund process would have saved their money if they just waited and seen what the reviews were. See, that's that's actually the perfect example, and one that most people are not bringing up and talking about. This is No Man's Sky. Just look at No Man's Sky. People bought into all the hype. We never really saw the game being played. Like we saw it snippets here and there, mm-hmm. trailers cut together. They never like sat down and did like a live stream with that game where they're like. Here's three hours of this game. Mm-hmm. This is what you do. They had those, like the tour they did where they did the same three planets for right. every outlet, and that was it. Yep. And so that's a perfect example. Everyone just bought into it. Like, they're telling me this is going to be awesome. I believe it's going to be awesome. And then what happens? It comes out, and it's not that it wasn't awesome. It just wasn't what people expected because they didn't wait for reviews. They just blindly bought the game. And, and- I think the reviews on that were pretty spot on yeah. for the most part. You know, it got sixes and sevens and they, they, they were called out. And like I thought all, I thought also somewhat put the lie to the idea that they're all paid off and, you know, like they they just like, you know, they don't care, they just give high scores to things and da 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 da. Yeah. Like 
you know, um, and you, well, they you, wanted you, to believe they had yeah. they had drank the Kool Aid. They had been brainwashed, and I mean, and I think a lot of probably the, a heavy. But I also think a lot but, of the press had, had too. I mean, the previews were actually absolutely breathless. Yeah, in some their, of them in their amazement of what the what. I you mean, know, we were skeptical of it on this show. Yeah, like we were constantly you were you were a little bit more into it than I was, but we were both kind of guarded about like we haven't seen this game yet. Like mm-hmm. you know, we've heard bits and pieces, and they've told us this stuff. Yeah. But oh, and let me also add. I still don't have my collector's edition. Oh, really? They, ne- they still haven't shipped that with the with the ship model. Jeez. They, got, they have a production. Well, they're device. like completely MIA. Oh yeah. And see, that's the flip side of this. Well, this is I am eight bit. I am eight bit made the. Uh, so the, wait, the, they're on the hook to deliver it? Yeah. So I'm we 8-bit. know I am eight bit. Oh yeah, the they're. I mean, they say it's coming next month. Okay. But like, it's it's a little late. I could call him. Like. No, we, <laughs> no, I know, show. I know them as well. But it's like. But it's like I've got. There have been multiple emails where it's like, please do not cancel this order because we can't right. re- but, stop but it. Right. But what I'm saying is, like, I'm saying the is developers like, have just gone completely MIA. Yeah. Like they have not replied to anything. Like, and I don't blame them. They've under. No, I can't blame them for that. I mean, they. A been, new patch like was being lined up on Steam this week. I think. I mean, something they're doing something. I mean, the backlash against them. I mean, it's not their fault that no. like you were dumb enough to buy this game without knowing whether it was good or not. Like, it's not their fault. They made a product. They released the product. And That's the pre- it. And the pre-order bonuses weren't even all that compelling. Right. It was like, there was no reason not to wait. And it was hook, line, and sinker, oh, yeah. man. It was just like, it's it like Dishonored 2. I already bought Dishonored 2. I bought the pre-order Dishonored 2 because I got Dishonored 1 with it. Yeah. And I didn't have the... the I've seen that from a couple people over yeah. the last... Like, I didn't have the definitive P- version of that for PC. I had it for free through uh, PlayStation, but the PlayStation 4 version of that sucks. So I decided, all right, I'll get do that and I'll get Dishonored, yeah, Dishonored 1. I'll play through that before it comes out. It's great. Uh, I'm hoping... I didn't, make a, I didn't make another Mafia 3 mistake. I don't think I did. <laughs> but you never know. I wouldn't have thought I did looking at Mafia 3's you know, pre-release stuff either. So Here's the bottom line. In life, when you are making a decision, no matter whether you're trying to decide whether you should buy or pre-order a video game, whether you're deciding you should wear a particular pair of socks, <laughs> the more information you have before you make that decision, the better. Period. Anything. You have a pair of socks. Someone tells you there's a spider in that sock. You probably shouldn't put it on. You're like, well, I'm not putting that sock on. That piece of information made your life better. Or at least look in the sock first. Yeah. Or someone reviews a game. Maybe they love the game. Maybe Dishonored 2 gets perfect tens from every journalist that ever plays it. Like... It's always better. Probably not after this. <laughs> there will be a couple yeah. sites that will go after it, which is really pathetic and unprofessional, yeah. but it'll happen. Well, you know it'll happen. It'll happen. Yeah. But no matter what, as a consumer, it's always better to have more information before you make a mm-hmm. purchase decision. That's just the facts. And the bottom line is what Bethesda has done is very anti-consumer. And some people don't care about that stuff and think people like us are blowing it out of proportion. Some people get really pissed off about it. And I happen to be one of those people that gets a little, maybe a little pissed off about it. I just, and it's, to me, it's like a slap into the face of the fans. Because they're, look, not all Bethesda's fans don't read reviews. Some of them do. And, like, if they put out a bad game or a mediocre game, or maybe there's people who are on the fence on some of its games. And they're like, you know, I only really would buy the Dishonored 2 if it is like a 9.5 or higher. Because I played the first one, I got it for cheap, I kind of liked it, but I wouldn't buy it again 
unless the next one is way better. Mm -hmm. And so I just feel like Bethesda is doing a disservice to its fans, obviously to consumers. Um, again, I get it. It's a business. It has a right to do whatever it wants and whatever it thinks it has to do to maximize profit. But I think it's being really short-sighted. I think in the end, it could actually end up costing Bethesda money. Well, I think, see, that's kind of where I'm coming from. I, I see sort of the flip side of it where I'm like, you know what I think the most likely outcome of this is, uh, certainly among the enthusiast core demographic, is um, you finally broke the pre you break the pre-order cycle. Yeah, you know, I mean, people. I mean, there's always the thing about like, don't pre-order, pre-order. There's no reason to pre-order before it. And I hated pre-orders for years and years, and I finally gave up and just started doing it because, you know, Amazon makes it easy. Yeah. But, um, you know, if this becomes a thing where we have no information before we, you know, at least like with early reviews, you have like an, an inkling long early enough to cancel the Amazon order before they ship it. You know, for the, the release day shipping. You know, usually you'd get. You know, something comes out on Tuesday, usually a lot of the major sites have their reviews out for the weekend. Um, if that ceases to be a thing, well, maybe that'll finally teach us to just wait and not buy it the day one and, and wait and see. Because that's honestly the only way Bethesda is going to change this policy is if it feels it in the pocketbook. Yeah. It's like we say all the time, bet with your wallets. If you think, like me, that this is a bad practice that should not have happened in the first place... Just don't buy it. And Even remember, if you just wait. Like Bethesda's a not gonna, week, I'm, right? But I mean, you're not necessarily going to notice. You know, if uh, okay, so let's say it comes out on Tuesdays, you wait to see reviews for you know maybe, and then you buy it Friday if it's good. If you right. get good reviews, um, the, other thing the, too, the units have still shipped to retail. But I'll tell you this much: uh, if that <clears> starts <throat> to happen next E3 or whatever, e, you know, the retailers are going to come to Bethesda and be like, "Hey, your stuff's not moving until the end of the week." You know that, right? Yeah. You know. Like, that or could become an issue. pre-orders are big, because pre-orders oh, yeah. determine the shelf space that a game gets. So if their pre-orders start going down, because... And because here's another thing that the press could do. The press could say, look, because here's... Bethesda has violated an unwritten agreement that publishers and the press have had for forever. The press previews the publisher's games before the games come out and doesn't give an opinion in the previews. Mm. Maybe one line that says, hey, there's this one little thing that we're a little concerned about. But it's this unwritten rule that when you preview a game, because conceivably everything could be fixed before it's released, that you lay off the opinion and you just report the facts. This is what the game has. This is what the game doesn't have. With the caveat that when the time comes, we're getting early access to this game to serve our users and then, you know, we'll be able to reap the rewards of that. It's a symbiotic relationship where each side is helping each other. Bethesda is the first publisher that was just like, screw that. Like, mm. they've taken away their end of the bargain now. And it makes so, you wonder what's going to happen when the time comes for Prey previews. Right. Or any preview for Bethesda games. So now, it's not that I think that the press would start saying, like, this game sucks when they mm -hmm. really don't think that. But... When you start looking at, like, hey, well, you know, we could go to this event or we could go to Bethesda's event, there's going to be a little bit of underlying animosity there where mm -hmm. they're like, you know, we could cover this game or we could cover Bethesda's game, but because Bethesda is basically screwing all of us, why don't we cover this one? I mean, the press could get really dirty I'm, like, and just stop covering oh, yeah. Bethesda's well, game. Well, then you, you start to wonder, it's like, um, you know, Bethesda so far has gone, you know, if they do a press conference at E3, they go first. Yep. So far. You know, so like, 
If, what if no one comes? What if an, what if an outlet's like, why should we start a, a, you know, one evening early covering press stuff when we should just do it the next day and cover all the big guys and that's it? Or their E3 press conference. You can bury the live stream on mm-hmm. your homepage so people... I mean, look, like Bethesda's been getting hooked up by the press for a long freaking time, man. You know, their stream happens. Their stream's top of every web page. Like, it's, it's a little dirty what they're doing here because the press has been really, really kind to Bethesda for a really long time. Like, the, the bottom line that I see there is, like, look, it probably doesn't hurt them to do this tremendously, but I don't see how it helps them that either. much either. I don't either. Like, what's the, what's the difference? What's the point? Why, why, and also, it's like they don't why do that? their products. Well, it's also why do that and then also put out this kind of snarky, you know, statement about it. Yeah. You know, like, I was like, well, it would be one thing if you just decided to stop sending review copies out and just never send anything, like, you've been, like they've been doing so far, basically. Yeah. But to, like, then put out this statement that's like, yeah, we're not going to do that anymore. We're just not going to come. We're just... We're just not going to come in, yeah. you know. And it's just like, oh, um, hmm. Uh, we we got to move on. Unfortunately, I could literally talk about this for hours. But it's going to be a developing thing over the next you know year or so. We'll see if anyone follows suit. We'll see if it impacts Prey at all. Like, yeah, it's uh, it'll be something to monitor. And, yeah. and, I mean, if other publishers start following suit, it could get really nasty. More on this as it develops. Again, this is something that's good for sites like Sifted, right? Because suddenly There's discussion. I mean, not even just for discussion, just uh, also, yeah. relevancy. Puts everyone and, on the same Yeah, puts everyone on field. equal footing. So, But, you know, I would never, talk, on, talking on a show like this, I would never champion something just because it helps our site. Like, when I see something that I feel is wrong, I'm going to point it out. And this would help our site if this were to happen with all these publishers. I still think it's wrong. Mm-hmm. So, right, let's move on. Next, we're going to talk about voice actors have gone on strike. They threatened it. A few times. For a long time. They've yeah. been threatening it for a long time. They finally did it. There are full on pickets going on outside of EA. It's a full on union strike. Yeah. Which, you know, we t- I think we talked about it one other time on the show. And yeah, the reason I know ago. is because I have we have B roll of voice, voice actors, actors on the <laughs> TriCaster, which otherwise we would have never had, yeah. which you're seeing right now. So it's Nolan North in his <laughs> uh, in his mocap suit. Yeah. So what do you think about this, Matt? Look, I know you're big into film, and this mm-hmm. is kind of like a... This is more of an entertainment-type thing more than just a video game thing. Right. Uh, I am 100% on the voice actor side. You are. No question. What they're asking for is completely reasonable. What are they asking for? Uh, basically, they're asking for... Um, uh, well, first off, like people who are doing stuff like what Nolan North is doing here, if there's any kind of physical or stunt stuff, they're asking for a real stunt coordinator to be on site. Okay. To keep, you know, basically to keep things safe, which is totally, totally understandable. I mean, that makes total sense. If you see some, like a lot of stuff and like stuff like Uncharted, I'm not saying Naughty Dog is one of the companies that doesn't treat the voice actors right, but I'm saying as an example, when you see stuff like you know the stunt work and the rolling around and stuff in in the cutscenes in the Naughty Dog games, like there's an actual actor doing that, I mean, not necessarily Nolan North. Well, yeah, you can actually, see it right here. Like they, yeah, they're actually doing these jumping and moving and all this stuff. Yeah. And, I think Naughty Dog probably does it pretty well, but like, like this is still technically this is dangerous stuff for well, someone. Yeah, I mean, who, you, you know, could twist your knee, anything and tear happen. your ACL. Yeah. Like you never know. And you want, you know, basically you want someone who knows the ins and outs to be there, and that's an extra, that's an extra cost. But like, you got to pay it if you're. I making can't believe publishers haven't, developers haven't been doing this. Already. I don't think like something like this would doesn't have a stunt coordinator, but like a lot of them don't apparently, like especially like mid range stuff does not. Right. 
they are also asking for um, a limit to the number of hours per day they are forced to do um, basically noises. Uh, like so, when you hear characters going ah, like sh- getting shot, getting pulling themselves up, things like that's done. And I can't remember the technical, like the industry term for it, but it's basically like you spend hours sitting there going like ah, ah, like screaming and yeah, doing yeah. It, all these the you know incidental and, noises yeah. that they need. And you do four hours of this, and like there's you know Steve Blum wrote his uh, wrote a little thing about it. He's like you know he know- personally knows people. You know he he's Steve Blum has been in the industry forever. He's a major major voice actor. If he says I'm done for now, I need to rest my voice. Uh, almost any voice director in the game industry is going to be like, all right, fine, right? Because he's got clout. The problem is but, the little guys. But the little, like he says, the little, he's like he knows little guys who are, you know they don't have that kind of power, and like they've been forced to go longer than they should have, and they come out of there with bleeding throats, and there's people who've had to have surgeries, and guys who have lost voices for you know for weeks on end, and when that happens, you can't work. That's right. your instrument. Yeah, yeah. So they're losing you know income because of these voice directors that are not being responsible so basically i think the the previous rule is four hours and i believe they want it to be two hours now which two hours should be a lot of a long time yeah it's like yeah see here's what's happening is one thing we should explain like in entertainment talent and i always hated that word but that's what they call it talent people who like do voices actors and actresses things like that they generally work on day rates Mm -hmm. so basically you pay a fat flat rate and a fat rate yeah (laughs) And they come in and they work all day, and that's usually how it works. The pro- what's happening here is these developers are trying to squeeze every last line out of these people. So they come in, they're like, "Look, I paid you five hundred dollars today for your day rate," and they're like, they hand them like a stack of scripts like this big. They're like, "We mm. need to get through this today because it's not in our budget to pay you for another day for this." And that's what's happening. It's like. These smaller guys get in there and they want more work and they don't want their reputation mm-hmm. to be sullied throughout the industry because, let's be honest, all these developers talk to each other. And if they're like, hey, we got this guy in here, he came in, he voiced for like two hours and was just a total jerk mm-hmm. and didn't want to work the rest of the day, they go and they tell Naughty Dog that. Then Naughty oh, Dog yeah. doesn't want to work with them. And I so, can tell you individual stories about <clears> they take advantage of them. 15 different voice actors where like, devs are like, oh, that guy was a jerk. I hate that guy. I yeah. hate that and like, then you go back and you find out why. And it was like, oh, because he wouldn't stay another two hours with no pay. Right. You know? Yep. And like, one of, they want, uh, I believe they want um, $1,600 a day to be the new rate, um, which is basically scale. I mean, that's not. That's a lot, though. It's not a lot well, for that job. Not it's for a not, little guy, it's a lot. For a little guy, but that—that's when you, you when you go union, that's what it means. Like that means you get that amount of money. I mean, if you're gonna hire Frank Welker, you're gonna pay a lot more than sixteen hundred dollars a day. Right, but I you, mean that's how it goes. That's what that's what VO costs. The problem is, is you can't hire non-union people. Like, right, you, you, but that's <laughs> but, but it's like a, that's what it costs. Yeah, that's, if you want voice in your game, that's what it costs. But if you're and an indie developer, you can't afford that. Well, that's why you get your friends. Yeah. Or you go, you go to like some state, local stage company, you know, like stage acting company, and you have, hire those people, which is what they did for a lot of the voices in early like PlayStation 1 era stuff. They yeah. got local theater companies and had them do it, and then it worked out okay, but now you want people, you know. And then the last thing that, the, uh, that they're demanding is uh, if a game sells over a certain number of millions of copies, uh, a $3,300 bonus. Um, which a lot of people have been calling residuals. That is not what residuals are. Residuals are a payment you get if a work is rerun uh, in syndication or something like that. So, but in the games industry, I think residuals are in that context. No, so that is not what re- a residual is de- by definition <clears throat> reuse of. Uh, so, like, say Nolan North gets another 
payday because they made the remasters of the Uncharted games. That's residuals. But I get a bonus if a game sells a certain amount of money. That's not a residual. That's a, that's a sales bonus. That's a success bonus. And developers get that too sometimes. Oh, some huge ones sometimes. Uh, unless Metacritic blows it for them. Yeah. Sometimes. Um, so what they're at, and $3,300, if the game sells over a certain threshold, like if, I think the threshold is like 8 million copies. Yeah, or I mean, that I'm okay with. I mean, like, like, nothing they're asking for is outlandish at all. I think and, a flat rate. Flat day rate that high is a little Well, extreme. no, there's a half day rate, too. I mean, it's not like if you hire a guy for four hours, you got to pay the full day rate. It's gotcha. 800 for half a day, 1600 for the full day. Gotcha. And that's basically what it already is, but there's kind of... It's still like, within the realm of a... Like, if you're talking about big-budget video games, like, that's just drops in the bucket. Right. But right. you got to look at it from the perspective of, like, there are some junior programmers working at those development studios who would literally, like, knife somebody to make an extra, like... Two thousand dollars a year because yeah, some well, of those people well, then, are making like forty grand. Like, right, but like then unionize. It's not a bad idea. That's honestly. that's the that's the answer to that. Like I don't just because the industry t- t- treats developers who don't have a union like shit doesn't mean that this the voice actors who do have a union should roll over and take that. Yeah. And what you're seeing here is voice actors have this guild and have you know have this ability to lever- use leverage and use the union. To you know, force the industry to recognize and treat these issues they're having, and that should not be taken as oh, they want to be treated better than developers. That I think developers should take that and be like, hey, this sh- we should use this as a, as a lesson, as an example. We should. Oh, do this I too. agree a thousand percent, but that's not what happens. It's not going to be what happens. <laughs> but like, it's I mean, there's nothing outlandish in the voice actors' demands. It's just you know. It's also kind of how business works these days. It is, yeah. More than ever, it's like every little penny, every little penny you can keep for yourself, you do it. And if that means like some fucking no-name dude has to bleed out of his throat because you needed another gunshot victim, go for it. And like, I mean, the real problem, and not just in games development, but just really in corporate America, is that the people at the top just get paid too much money. Oh, yeah. That is the problem. And mm. that is the problem with corporate America across the board, is that you have... Like these one or two people who make more than everyone underneath them combined. Like, it's insane. Like, some of these CEOs at these companies, it is crazy how much money they get paid. Meanwhile, the people who are actually doing the work can't even afford to, like, buy a home or buy Mm -hmm. a car. And they're, like, walking to work every day. And, like, that is the problem. And that's just a problem America-wide. Like, the people at the top are getting paid way too much money. Not enough of it is trickling down. Those people hoard their money. They don't give it out. They don't recirculate it. And so you have all this these people that are like below working class busting their asses and doing good work for like nothing. And so And it's worse in the game industry a lot of times because developers are easy to replace. Easy to replace. Everybody wants a job. Yep. And that's why you see all these stories about like EA spouse where these people are just getting basically manipulated and driven into the ground. It's that's the problem, mm-hmm. is that you have these people at the top making so much money that there's not enough to satisfy, and that's why you have the strike. They're being so greedy. They're, you look at, like, even people like Peter Moore, like how much money that guy is making a year. It is mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. Like, it is crazy. You really look at what he does, like, nobody deserves that kind of money. No. Like, well, they just I, don't. Well, it's also like, you know, just because I think the voice actors deserve what they're asking for, it doesn't mean that I think the developer, you know, the, 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 the programmer deserves to be there 80 hours a right. week for no good reason. Yeah, yeah. I think that needs to be fixed, too. But, like, just because that hasn't been fixed yet, and, yeah, I mean, those guys make the game. The, yep. the, the voice actors come in for a week at most. Right. 
uh, unless you're like what we're seeing there with like Nolan. No, those guys work a lot more in the creative with the developers. They're more elbows, elbows yeah. deep in that's, a project. It's yeah. also partly why Naughty Dog is special. Yeah. Also, Naughty Dog is notorious for terrible, terrible crunch. So, yeah. you know, that's what it takes to make a game like Uncharted or Last of Us. Yeah. Um, you have to, you basically have horrible, you know, slave mind conditions, basically, yeah. to make something like that. Um, and that's something that needs to be remedied. And it's like, okay, maybe it takes th- four years to make these games instead of two years from now on. But like, at some point, something's got to give. Something's got to give. Yeah, it's gonna, and it's gonna. Yeah. And maybe this is just the first step towards it. I mean, and this is this strike is going to be interesting because it's imagine if game developers unionized. Yeah. I mean, you can't just like replace everybody. You would think you can't. No, you can't. You can't replace the lead programmer at Naughty Dog. Yeah, you like, can't replace you know years and years of experience. You can't replace talent like that. Sure, your low level guys, your code compilers, and sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, even but that even, might be tough. But, uh, but look, even you know, I know QA is supposed to be a a good QA person, especially a good QA lead, is invaluable oh, yeah. to a game project. Yep. I mean, it saves so much time and effort. I'm surprised game developers haven't done this with the way they've been mistreated for so long in the first place. And look, if I were a low-level programmer, I would be pissed at voice oh, actors. Yeah. But my, my, my I question... I would be like, bro, you want to come in here and hang out for two hours and get 1600 bucks? You know how many hours I work this week for $1,600? Well, sixteen hundred for an eight. That's what, but that's what voice acting costs. Also, yeah. that programmer will be probably be able to program into his sixties or seventies. Voice actor, you got till your forties usually yeah, until your voice changes or yeah. damages, or, and also you don't know how often you're working. The voice actors yeah. aren't working every day. You're yeah. getting sixteen hundred bucks in part because you might only work two days that week. You're right. Absolutely like right. that's just how that's just how entertainment goes. It is. It's also why residuals exist. You know, I have friends who like, you know. Like, I, you know, if you get something, that's what you want. You want a, if you're an actor, you want a commercial or something that gets rerun a lot because you get paid for that forever as yeah, long as yeah. it gets rerun. The guy, like, like the guy who played Santa Claus in that Eminem commercial, where he's like, they are real. Yeah. That guy probably pays for all his Christmas presents every Christmas. Oh yeah. With that ad, oh, he gets a big some, old check. And then for that. some, yeah. Forever, yeah. forever. I mean, that was that ad was like the, done in the '90s, yeah. but he still gets paid for that, yeah. and that's important because. As someone who uses their voice or their body or their looks as your career, that's not going to last forever. Yeah, and that's yeah. one of the reasons pay for something like that is so high. Yep. So I think we both say we're on the side of the voice actors here. Yeah. And on the side of the voice actors and hoping that, yeah, hoping it causes domino effect for maybe the other people who are being treated badly and treated worse. Worse. I mean, yeah. for sure, the voice actor that has to scream a lot is being mistreated, but... Is he being more mistreated than the guy who has to work 80 hours a week for no overtime? Right. Probably not. No. Yeah. Probably not. Mm, you know, have some Definitely tea, not. bro. You know, it's like, yeah. yeah, I'm, I, you know, look, we, hell, we scream for three hours on this yeah. show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we ain't making 800 bucks a day. Yeah, that's for that. sure. Yeah, so there you go. That's a good way to put it. So, stay strong. Yeah. And also, like, it's going to be interesting to see if this affects it, because, like, you know, Voice actors going on strike now are going to affect games that come out in like 2019. You know? It's like, like at first I was like, oh, you know, could like Horizon Zero Dawn no, be delayed? That's all done. And like, that's all done. But there are games next year that it could affect. But you know what? I'm like, screw it. You know what? If I if I have to play a game a little bit later because these people are standing up for their rights, yeah. totally okay with that. Like, or I'll get over the it. other thing I'll encourage one of the major publishers to do, uh, just as an example for the, the skeptics on this. Uh, Record it with a bunch of stand-ins. 
Yeah. Like record 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 a major triple A game with yeah. like a like a and even if you were, with us boys again. Yeah. But even if you like <laughs> if the strike ends and you then you get the professionals coming to do it, still include like the half-assed one yeah, yeah. as like the optional like as like the strike VO. Yeah. So you can hear this is what it sounds like when you don't pay people to do this for a living to do this. Matt and I'll do it. Oh yeah, we'll do it. We'll come in. We'll no voice problem. for you. It'll sound god awful. I don't know, man. I, I did Splinter Cell Co-op Theater. That was pretty. That was pretty <laughs> solid. All right, let's move on to the last topic of the Big Six and the last Big Six in the history of Game Face. It's a momentous occasion. We're going to talk about the Switch. last six. The last six. We're going to talk about Nintendo Switch. Uh, obviously, big topic from last week's show. Uh, Nintendo was like, "Oh, you're not going to hear anything until next year." Hmm. It turns out that was a bunch of malarkey. We found out a bunch of new stuff about well, not the Switch. Officially, over the last, right? Not officially. Well, actually, some of it is official. Uh, the first thing we found out is that the reveal event, the next reveal event, will be held in Tokyo on January 12th. It will show yeah. off the price, the release date, and it'll have a software preview. Mm. That's... Two months before... 77 days. That's a long ways away. It's also just two months... Yeah, that's eight to ten weeks before the release. Before the the release, the... the Alleged. release. (laughs) The release of the system. You think that's going to happen now with them showing this stuff off like two months beforehand? Um, I'd flip a coin at this point. Like, that is not enough time before a console. I mean, yeah, like, uh, you know, Apple announces stuff today and you can buy it right now. But, like, that's not how console launches work. Uh, in part because people got to save some cash. Yeah. Also because this system's going to cost a lot. Not necessarily... I don't mean, like, the pr- price of the base system, but I'm like, okay, you got to buy the system. Now maybe you got to buy the, 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 the grip. The grip. You want to buy the Pro, Pro Controller, controller. too. Yeah. Maybe you want another set of Joy-Cons for your friends. Yeah. Maybe you need uh, you know a, 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 a power adapter to, tra- to for travel to pa- to charge the thing and charge the Joy-Cons and all that stuff. Uh, you probably need if you're going to take the thing on the go all the time. You're probably going to need some kind of protective case for the for the screen. Um, I mean, you're, also, and, and then maybe you probably want a video game. Yeah. You know, like that, you're talking about like an extra hundred bucks in accessories oh, on top of this yeah. thing at least. Like you need some time. People need some time to budget for this, and you're only giving them it's eight coming weeks. Coming right after Christmas. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. It was also coming right after the holidays. Everyone spends all their and money. And we don't even know what the launch lineup is, so nobody even has, knows how many games they want to buy. Like, now here is one caveat to what you're saying: is that Nintendo is reportedly saying there will only be. Two million units at launch. Well, I mean, only. I don't know if that's an only, necessarily. Really? I feel like they'll be able to sell that with no problem. The Wii U sold 900,000 in the first six weeks. Worldwide. Is that true? Yes. I looked it up because I saw wow. this stat. I mean, compare that to... Contrast, that really low. Contrast that to the... Play, yeah, the Wii U didn't sell very well. Contrast that to the PlayStation 4, which sold one million in the U.S. in a day. Right. Um... I think two million is a pretty safe number. Really, I feel like that's way low. Way low for what? Well, I know it's that's way less shipments than they sent out for Wii U. The Wii U was like yeah, they, the Wii U didn't move very well. Right, but they still sent out three million or whatever right. out into the retail chains. But now this maybe this is how many as just as many as they can make. Maybe they're be. not maybe they're not willing to clog the shelves. Maybe they want to manufacture some scarcity to make it the hot item. Yeah, the problem or, with doing that is it like that could happen at like Christmas. Or maybe <laughs> they're going to ship. Four million, and it's coming out in September. Yeah, 
Like that's possible. Biggie three blowout September release. That's possible. I mean, I mean, they did have, they do and have. Zelda's going with it. March 2017 and all the branding for the in the trailer. Yeah, well, they have to and, because otherwise they'll have to talk to their investors. And they just reassured the investors and you know the stockholders that there's two million units shipping in March, um, and like you know you can't lie to the investors. But if something changes between now and then, yeah. like it, you know, you can't really prove. Yeah, you know, I'm mean, saying. Look, I is would like, say if you're already hook, line, and sinker for this thing, and you know you want it, I would pre-order it. I think we'll two pre-order million. It. You can pre-order it now. I'm sure. There's no price yet. It doesn't matter. It doesn't. Well, matter Well, you can't go on Amazon and pre-order it. But regardless of when, whenever you can pre-order it, I think if you want it, you should pre-order it. Yeah, I think that's true of any new hardware, really. Yeah. If like, you want it on launch day. Like you were talking earlier about pre-ordering. Um, you're talking about Bethesda. Like I don't pre-order anything unless I think I'm not going to be able to get it when right. I want it. And right. typically, that only happens with hardware anymore. And with look, software even, and games, there's no. And reason. even if you decide you don't want it. Uh, it's not hard to unload launch day software, launch, launch day hardware. Yeah, I mean, at the very least, you should probably get your money back for it. Yeah. Although, I think with Wii U, that was not the case. It was not, but... I think with Wii U, actually, I you could get it cheaper, like, secondhand. Look, I think already... Uh, look, I'm skeptical as hell about this system, but I think already uh, the, the interest and hype is larger than it ever was for the Wii U pre-release. Yeah, I guess I would say that. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, it's less what I'm it, saying. Like, look, I think if you want it, you should pre-order it. Right. As as I mean, you can. at the very least, uh, the day day one, you're getting a Zelda game, which is better than anything the Wii U had to throw at you at launch day. Yep. I mean, unless you're a big Nintendo Land fan, I don't know. I don't yeah. Know, I don't know if <laughs> that those was exist. not a good launch lineup for first-party stuff. Uh, other details that have come out: multi-touch screen 720p. Yeah. That came today from Eurogamer. Six point two inches from its six point two inches from its from Eurogamer's same source that broke all the information that ended up all being one hundred percent correct. So you can pretty much take that to the bank. Seven twenty p multi touch. That last week we had a long a big part of our conversation was talking about mm-hmm. backwards compatibility and what you do with that. This makes a little more sense. Um, the fact that the sort TV of. won't work with the tablet on at the same time kind of pours water all over Yeah, I don't really that. know what you do with that then. I mean, you need that to make something backwards compatible with the 3DS well, or I mean, the then, Wii U. And then you're, well, and also, like, you still need a Wii controller somehow, right? I just don't see how you do it. Maybe 3DS games are only playable just on the tablet. You can't play them on the TV. That's tiny, though. I know. But, I mean, if you're... Taking a 3DS game on the road. I mean, do you want to see a 3DS game on your TV? No, <laughs> it would look so bad. But I'm I'm saying, don't sell your 3DS. Yeah, yeah. Just yet. Um, I don't th- see this replacing it anytime. So I see it replacing it on the release schedule. But I don't I don't see how you get backwards compatibility out of this thing on the level it would be acceptable. I mean, multi touch. It doesn't even need multi touch for no, backwards compatibility. No, but it's good because one of the big problems with the Wii U controller is it's not multi touch. Yeah. It's, which is, I mean, that's archaic. Like, if you're gonna make a touch screen, it's gotta be multi touch. Yeah, uh, it's insane that the Wii U is yeah. not multi touch. I totally agree. But it also just seems weird that like now they're going to put it in when they don't really need it. Right. I mean, <laughs> there's. I mean, it's look, backwards. Clearly, there's got to be more to this thing than yeah. just what we saw on the teaser, because otherwise, why even have it be a touchscreen unless it's just for the sake of navigating the OS? Yeah. Um, and I mean, 720p. I mean, it makes sense in the in terms of like wanting to save battery power because something that's small, you're not going to benefit from 1080p, but you sure as hell better be able to display it in 1080p on the screen. 
But the one yeah. thing I don't understand is like, okay, so it's 720p and da, 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 and like like we've been lambasting Microsoft and Sony for not putting out systems powerful enough to run things at a full 1080p 60 frames a second. Battlefield One actually and runs now at when, 720p on Xbox and, One. And now when Nintendo <laughs> does it, it's genius. Yeah, come on. I'm people. okay. 720p is fine for a handheld. Yeah, like, but that also guarantees I'm never going to use it as a handheld because I can look have a objectively better picture on my TV. Phone. Well, yeah, on your TV. But I don't care about phone. Here's that's the other thing is like I don't think Nintendo understands why people play mobile games. Like it's like I play. Mobile I don't games. understand why people well, play mobile games. Besides, besides the basic functionality, <laughs> I can't blame them. I don't get it either. I mean, I mean the fact that like one of the reasons people play so many mobile games is because they've already got the thing in their pocket already. They've got the yeah. they've got the phone in their pocket anyway, and it's just like you might as well do something with it. Like no one's gonna just happen to have a switch in their pocket, you know? Yeah. Like, like it's a very and it's like other than people, I've never ever felt the need to bring. A, a console game with me in a inferior form. I just, especially if the if the battery life is not. I mean, we talked about this last like, week. That's just you. There's some people who are going to love that feature. Some people are not going to care. Some people, but if the thing can't even la- battery life last across for a transcontinental flight, like who cares? I mean, my cell phone's battery won't last across a transcontinental flight. I mean. It's dead if I use it the whole time on the flight. Like, yeah, but what? What? Does and we it, don't know the battery life yet. Of but what the does a switch. cell phone have that you'd play that long? See, that's Plants the, versus zombies, whatever. Anything's mm. better than just staring at the seat in front of me. I'm totally okay with 720p for a screen that size. That should be plenty good. It should be a nice balance between quality and uh, and battery life. My question is, what does it display on the TV as? Like, it's got to be 1080p. Well, then what's doing that? The, well. It's a 720p screen. Right. It's not saying that it can't display at 1080p. It's just that's the screen resolution mm. on the handheld. It's just it's like just, that's gonna. It, I mean, obviously you're not gonna get a big benefit of 1080p on a screen that small. Yeah. But, I mean, the like, Nvidia Shield displays at 1080p. It's not yeah. just 720p. So, and this chip is supposed to be a little bit better than what's in the Shield. So I'm not worried about that. I think 1080p will be a go on on a television. It should be aiming higher than that. Is the problem. Um, and then, well, I don't think we're going to get that. that I, I don't either. No. And capacitive touch, so it actually they're saying that it can tell how hard you're mm. pressing the touch screen. Again, what are you render using kind of that irrelevant. For? Right, it's kind of re- irrelevant. And if also, you don't like have the software. So, what are you using the capacitive touch or the multi-touch for if you have to put the thing in the dock? Because and then the the controllers don't use that. I know. So, what is that for? There's a lot of confusion. There must still. be something else to this thing that we're not we haven't seen yet. I hope so. They're better. Be. Well, either that or they they they're dumb. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know, like one or the other. And Nintendo, while they make mistakes, they're not dumb. Dumb. Well. Well. <laughs> I don't know if I go that far, but not on. I mean, we're not on that. Well. I don't know. I don't know. All right, so let's let's move on. We got more stuff to talk about. You, uh, according to Nintendo, you will not be able to buy a tablet separately. At least at launch. That makes sense. I guess. It's called the Switch. You can't, like... It's, well, like I think what it'd be like people, asking, why can't I just buy the top half of a 3DS? Well, I think that's what people are saying, though, is, like, you know, they buy Nintendo hardware for the portable side of it. And they... Maybe some people with an interest, they don't want to spend the extra money 
for the dock to send it to the TV if they're just going to use it when they're on the train or whatever. Well, that's the point of the system, so that was not going to happen. It's called the Switch. You switch from console to handheld. That's the point. But I think some people feel like that's Nintendo forcibly telling them how to use something that they're purchasing instead of letting them use it how they want to use it. Yeah, well... Get over yourself. Here, here's the big... I mean, come on. That's the whole point of the system. Here's probably the big... I mean, I'm in the same boat as far as, like, I'd just rather have a console, but, like, I'm not going to demand they sell, like, a, a box version of it. Like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. It is what it is. That's what they designed it to be. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think it would be... Wouldn't be a big deal for Nintendo to make them available separately. I don't. See I didn't think it would be a big deal for them to make, make the Wii U gamepad available separately, but that never happened. Well, they did, the... but you had to go on Nintendo's website to get it yeah. or whatever. But it also, was outrageously priced, by the way. But it was also never available uh, in any in kind of retail sense, so it was, right. like, the advantage of having it separately for like a two-gamepad game or something never yeah. happened. Also, uh, that is going to become a thing in terms of collecting, you know, like a retro system thing. Uh, a lot of these Wii U controllers are going to die over the you years. You mean the gamepad? Gamepad. And, like, so, like, I think eventually finding a Wii U gamepad that, that functions works. to keep your, you know, vintage Wii U rolling is going to be a problem. That's a good point, actually. I never thought about that. Here's probably the biggest thing we're going to talk about in this topic. Um, <clears throat> Bioware replied to a fan on Twitter this week and said that Mass Effect Andromeda will not be coming to Switch. Mm-hmm. What does that tell you, Matt? Tells me they didn't get the hardware to them in time. Really? You think that's it? Yeah. Oh, well, that's far more encouraging than the way I looked at it. Well, I don't think it's encouraging <laughs> because it's like I said more encouraging. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I just, I just think that it's, you know, I mean, maybe it's partly because they got burned on Mass Effect Three on the Wii U, um, and EA is also not being particularly adventurous with putting things on new hardware, v- VR. You yeah. know, they're sending out the first wave of VR, basically. Yeah. Except for the Star Wars thing, yeah. Um, like I can, I can see that as being partly that, but I can also see it as like Nintendo did not get, you know, dev kits to them in time for them to port this game, and they're not interested in doing like a re- you know, like a post, a post release port release. for the thing, you know, <laughs> like, like they did with Mass Effect, like Assassin's Creed Three did, like you know, like the Wii U stuff did, yeah, and like Skyrim's about to do probably. Yeah. I, mean, I know it's not official, like a rock, come on, yeah. Like, there's you, no way they're gonna put it in their trailer if it's you, not like able to deliver. Did I just arrive here on planet and, Earth? Come and on, but that's not gonna let them put their no. logo on the. Yeah. Of course not. Oh sure, Nintendo, we'll just give you random footage of our Skyrim remastered game and, and to help you with this trail. Come on, no, people. that's Nintendo being Nintendo. That's Nintendo always. saying you can't say anything about it until we're ready to announce it on January 12th. Right, basically, we want to have all the power to announce everything. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, I don't know. I think it might be the first hint of a problem with third parties. I think it's also, like, I mean, technically, this is the fourth game in a series, and, like, I can see, like, not wanting to be, like, leading with that foot on, on this system. You want something that more people are willing to jump into out of nowhere. Like, maybe a new IP. A new IP. What am I talking about? It's EA. But like, here's the here's the problem though. Mass what about Madden? My question is: Is Madden going to make it on this thing? Maybe, but I we mean, won't know that until the August. I right? mean, Mass Effect Andromeda is probably the biggest third party game for the second half of this generation, except for another Grand Theft Auto. Whenever that may may not come, or maybe Elder Scrolls Six. Yeah, which is they've already said is like three. It's years certainly down EA's right. biggest thing. Next year so far. I mean, it's probably the biggest third-party game next year. Maybe Red Dead's bigger? I don't think so, though. Red Dead's bigger to me. I don't know if it'll... You think Red Dead would sell more than Mass Effect? I don't think so. 
I think Mass Effect will sell more than Red Dead. That's probably a good board bet or whatever, but yeah. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I, this is a huge game is what I'm getting yeah. at. Like, they don't get much bigger than this. The other thing is maybe, you know, they've, they've really been pushing the 4K on this thing. Maybe they don't care about something that's going to display it at 720p. I mean, you would hope it doesn't display it at 720p. You'd hope it'd be able to hit 1080. But but no, if you if you take it out of the thing and you play it on the on the tablet screen, it's in 720p. Well, yeah, but the screen's puny. It still will display it on your TV at a higher resolution. Oh hope, yeah, it, but, but, hopefully. Uh, but still, I can see people that you know if they're working on this game being like the big 4K HDR darling for EA. And then you're like, hey, we want to put it on the system where it displays at 1080p maximum, and then we take it out into the little handheld version, it drops it down to 720. I can see them being like, eh, no thanks, you know? Yeah, but 720 on a screen that size will look like 1080p on a TV. It doesn't doesn't matter when you're like, you know, working that hard on something that, that takes Counting like that pixels. high end. Yeah. They, they want this thing to be a high end option. You know, they want to sell PS4 Pros with this thing. Yeah. You know, they don't. They're well, not Sony gonna, wants to. Well, yeah, but I mean, Bioware like, doesn't care. But clearly, they're designing it for that end of the hardware spectrum, and not so much this like last gen tech. That, I just think it's telling on a number of fronts. I think it's telling that. Third-party publishers still aren't back on board with Nintendo 100%. I think mm-hmm. it's telling of the power of the Switch, which we don't really know that much about yet. Um, if it were powerful enough, it would be easy to port because they've been building Mass Effect all this time on a freaking PC. And and there's nothing particularly special about the Switch's architecture as far as we know. I mean, if Switch were up to scratch with even Xbox One, it would be coming to Switch. That's the way I look at mm-hmm. it. And so this... Not admission, I'd want to be careful with using that word, but this sort of response from Bioware signals to me, sends up a couple red flags, I guess is the best way to put it. I think the main red flag it sends up to me is in terms of what I would expect is that they just did not get the hardware to people in time. Which they've that's, always done. Which has always been a thing. Because they failed a prioritization they should give kits well, to. And I, also I bet th- you Koei Tecmo had development kits oh, like probably. a year ago. Well, I, well, I also think that that's ind- indicative of like one of the reasons we don't know anything about the launch lineup is because one of the re- I think one of the reasons, even if it comes out in March, which I'm not totally sure of, uh, one of the reasons they're waiting until January 12th to, do, to tell anybody about this stuff is because they don't know what's going to be done in time. Totally right. Yeah. Everybody's working to beat the clock on this one. And which which is probably bad for everything, except for Zelda. I mean, I don't think Zelda's probably been done for a year now. Yeah. But, like, I think you've got a lot of third-party developers trying to beat the clock on this one, and maybe Mass Effect Andromeda just didn't have room in the bandwidth for that. Or they could have farmed it out to, like, a port person, but it's not done yet, so how do you do that? It was probably just that... I mean, it might be, like, a lack of uh, interest in, in putting on the hardware or dealing with Nintendo as a third party because EA certainly been down that road a few times. Yeah. Um, but I think part of it, it had to be logistics. You know, it, it's... Especially if you're just admitting it outright on Twitter. Like, there yeah. had to be... It couldn't have been something that nefarious. It had to have been... It couldn't have been, like, you know, an argument with Nintendo where they're like, we're not going to put this game on your system. Go fuck yourself. No, like, I don't think it's know, anything like that. But, like... I just think practicality is getting in the way. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I wonder how long it will take for practicality to get in the way of things that are maybe more practical than previously thought. Yep. Uh, a couple more things very quickly. Uh, Nintendo's new president, not really new anymore, uh, did an interview with Bloomberg where he said that the grip or the Joy-Con are, is going to get a lot of accessories. Duh. So 
I think I said last week, this thing is a gold mine to sell you add-ons and accessory things. They can all just snap constantly. right on. and Yeah, so it looks like we kind of had that right from what we talked about last week. And then the final note was 128 gigabyte SD cards will work with mm-hmm. the Switch, which is good news to me. Yeah, I that's fine. I mean, it's better than having to buy another hard drive and take the thing apart, and it's certainly better than what the Vita did to us. So. Well, a lot of it will depend on how big is the hard drive in this thing. Which, based upon I, the size of it, I'm well, not thinking it's I all think that they big. may not have a hard drive, and it might just be the SD cards. Really? Maybe it'll come with a you know a 32 gigabyte one or something, and we'll have to buy a decent. That would be one so bad. Which and is so another. Then there, which is another, another thing expense. you have to buy. They're like, that, well, just buy an external. It's like, bro, those are like a good ones, like a hundred bucks. But an like, external doesn't even work because you have to take it on the go. Yeah. You, you're gonna have well, to buy have an to SD like, card for this lo- thing. Load your save to the SD card yeah. and like. Screw that, dude. Screw that. I'm pretty sure it'll just run on SD cards. That's That would be really bad. That would be really bad. Well, it'll so, all be on the same SD card. You wouldn't have to transfer anything. It would just be on the SD card. I just I think it's just a terrible idea. This thing has to have a hard drive. I don't think it does. I mean, looking at the size of it, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. I mean, if they're really... They already said, you know, they did come out this week and say, that's another thing that they said, that, in fact, the only thing that is in the dock is the HDMI Mm -hmm. out and... It's just a pass-through. Yep, that's all it is, so... I don't know. I feel like some good news, some bad news this week about Switch. I'm guessing now... At least people... We generally have SD cards laying around. Yeah. As opposed to, like, the the Vita, where it was, like, here, $100 for, like, a hundred. I think the biggest SD card I have is, like, 32 gigs, though. I've got a big... I got, like, a 256 gig one for... Really? uh, I think for for the Wii U. But, see, it's probably the slow one, right? Yeah, it's not, not like, a lightning-fast one or anything. Yeah. But. Those are cheap. The slow ones are cheap. Yeah. If you want one that actually functions decently, oh, if you're talking about something you'd like capture like HD video to right. on a camcorder, like that's yeah, you're talking about like an 80, 80 90 gig, ninety dollar card. Yep. Yeah. And that's for like sixty four gigs. I know. That's what I'm saying. So, I hope it has a hard. This drive. system, I wouldn't I'm t- be surprised. Doesn't matter. Does I'm still saying. I'm no. It doesn't matter how much the actual system in the box costs. This is going to be a very expensive purchase if you want all the accoutrement you need. I don't even know if it's accoutrement. I think it's yeah, like a functional necessities. system. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it could add up real quick. All right, let's, uh, let's move on to our trailer of the week. And we will have a trailer of the week still in the new format, so don't worry about that. Uh, start getting your questions in right now on the chat. Uh, the trailer of the week this week was an easy pick. Uh, Square Enix today put out an excellent piece of CG, although this was not done in-house, by the way. This was not done by Square Enix's artists. This was done by an outside development house, and it's amazing. It is the CG trailer for Final Fantasy XV called Omen. Let's roll it.
That'll probably be the last trailer of the week for Final Fantasy XV. I think we've done yeah. at least two at this point, maybe even three. Yeah, and um, they're not going to get much better than that either. So no, it's also not going to get that good in the game. No. So <laughs> that's cooler than anything that's going to happen in the game. I'm just going to call that right now. I hope not. I hope the game has much better than that in store. Also, when you're driving, be careful when you look at dogs on the side of the road. <laughs> just saying. Yeah. Just. <laughs> You can't just stare at the dog. You gotta watch the road. Yep. Let's get to the questions. Uh, here's one from Unfashionable. What was your favorite civilization, not counting six? Two. Four. For me. Two was just the one I played forever when I was a Four kid. Four was the one I played the most. <laughs> I think that's why. 
I think four was also kind of uh, the sweet spot. It's, it's kind of like where it finally got all the systems mm. in it, and it also probably pushed the boundaries the most. Well, I don't know. That's not true. Probably from one to two was the biggest push in yeah. as far as like advancing from one entry to the next. But four, I mean, three came out pretty soon after two, and four there was a big gap, and it was kind of yeah. a leap in tech there. And I think five. Once 5 patched and expansioned itself up a little bit, it had kind of delivered more on the f- promise of 4, but, like, I can see why... It was why so f- rocky from the beginning. I can see why 4 would be, like, the you know, after 2, the next one that you really sink a life into. 4 also played great, like, out of the box, back when right. you actually got games out of a box, but yeah. <laughs> out of the box, I still 4 have played box. great. I do, I do too, <laughs> actually. So, 4 for me, 2 for Matt. Uh, let's see... From Evusin, what do you guys think about how the overall reaction to the Switch was from the gaming media and industry? Exaggerated, positive, or negative? Um, I don't know. Dude. I haven't really paid attention to what the industry, what the, like the press reaction was to it. Yeah, I mean, honestly, most of it was positive. Yeah, like from the media anyway. Um, most people are excited I, for it. I don't have any evidence of this. It's not like I've done a study, but it seems to me that a lot of the people working in games press right now are giant Nintendo fanboys. Well, so a lot of people start as Nintendo fans, and that's where they get enough of the passion and the motivation to go for it, to become a journalist. Because, look, it's... One, it's not easy. You have to work for nothing for a long time before you ever make enough money doing it to actually support yourself. Some people mm-hmm. still barely make enough money to support themselves. It's like I said earlier, like a lot of journalists live just barely above the poverty line. Like freelancers right. who work, you know, do reviews for three hundred dollars or two hundred dollars or whatever. That doesn't mean you should watch that switch teaser and come away with it without any questions. No, for sure. I mean. That- the lack of skepticism towards that. I mean, we don't really know anything more than we knew already. I mean, it confirmed a bunch of rumors, but we still don't know very important details like specs, hardware, the price, the lineup, the release date, like the cost of the accessories. Like, yeah. there's there's a lot of question marks to be filled in before anybody should be jumping up and down excited that Nintendo's back. I think one thing I would say by being a part of the show last week and then watching a lot of other people's responses over the last four or five days is that a lot of people aren't asking tough questions. Mm -hmm. They're just kind of like saying, wow, this is awesome. And none of them are saying, hey, but what about this? Yeah. Um, I don't think anybody wants the backlash from it. I don't care. But like... Um, but also, like, you know, the... Uh, no, you're right. We're in a different boat, because, right. like, if you work at IGN or GameSpot or one of those big sites, mm-hmm. like... People aren't going there for interesting, skeptical discussion. They're going to have their opinions reconfirmed. Right. Uh, and the if, other, you, the if other... you stray outside the line, like, it can get really nasty. Oh, yeah. And the, And actually, I think a more generous reading of it would be... Why ask tough questions when we're not going to get any damn answers for yeah, two months? That's a like, good it's point. not like it's going to get you anywhere by asking them. You might as well just wait until they tell us, right? Well, I mean, if you go back to what we were talking about, about pre-orders and giving people as much information as possible, sometimes when you ask tough questions, you do kind of right. figure things out. But you can't pre-order it yet, so right. it doesn't really <laughs> matter. Sure. Like, uh, So overall, I would say the press has been positive. I mean, like, been... I mean, or, or stuff like the 11-minute video of analyzing the five-second Mario fo- seconds of Mario footage and that. Yeah. That's a little much. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the industry in general has been really quiet on it, but I think that's 
At the request of Nintendo. I yeah. think that's just Nintendo saying, look, don't talk about it. Don't say what you're working on. The Mass Effect thing I thought was shocking. Yeah. Just in the fact but that I mean, again, that's telling, though, that like... EA don't give a shit. Right. <laughs> like, exactly. That's what I was trying to get Makes you wonder at. how involved they are. Yeah. Exactly. That's what I was trying to get at with Mass Effect. That's why I said this, to me, was the biggest topic of all the ones we mentioned mm-hmm. in that Switch topic. So... Also, um, because it's the most relevant question, you know, because when it comes down to it, it's like, yeah, oh, this and that and this, you, know, you can take it to your roof party and be the asshole that won't put the fucking video game down for the barbecue and all yeah. this stuff. Uh, or, uh, but, like, in the end, all we know is Zelda. It is and the so most weird. important thing is games. Nobody. They're just, people are just assuming we're going to be playing, playing all these great Nintendo games. It's like, don't forget, do not forget the, the generations where we got nothing. For months and months. For months and months. Yeah. And sometimes for our, your favorite ser- series never came out for it, Metroid. When was the last time a console was unveiled and no publisher was allowed to talk about what they're working on? I mean, usually when you unveil a console, that's when the bow breaks. Yeah, you throw it. And you all, all the publishers are like, well, look at this, what I'm working on. And then you go on Twitter and like... The developers are like, oh, I really love programming on this, or I love the mm. way this handles, like, shaders, or whatever. Like, it's just like, here's this trailer, and nobody say anything. It's just really bizarre. And again, it's Nintendo, it always kind of dances to its own beat or whatever. So, not all that... If there's this one is... publisher that would do that, it is Nintendo. Yeah, but usually you at least have, like, a montage of, like, what you... You know, they always do the montage of, like, the, you know... Two seconds of footage of each game that's in the showing pipeline. off how it were. I mean, go and back some, and look yeah, at the Wii some, U. Some of them are years out. Some of them never come out. Whatever. But it's like you at least get a taste of like here's what we're planning. Yep. And it's like the fact that we didn't even get like you know that you even have Bethesda sitting there like saying like uh, nothing. There's nothing to see here. There's no. I mean, come on, guy. Like, like I understand why that's happening, but it's so weird. Helters, what do you think the landscape of gaming will look like if developers also unionize? Would it be the death of AAA games as we know them? Could it cause some big studios to shut down and consolidate? I think all the answer to all of that is maybe. Yeah, um, <laughs> I think you bring up some good points. Like yeah. that's a really good question, Helters. Uh, I don't think it would be I the think end any of, of those could be possible. Po- I don't think it would be the end of AAA, but I think it yeah. would change how often they come out, which would change how much you can budget for them, and it would also change how much you have to pay everybody. So, I mean, one, either on one hand, you'd have to pay all this overtime, or everybody would be limited to 40 hours a week with no overtime. So you're, you're either impact, you're, either the budgets are going way up, or the, the time frame is expanding. Uh, so that will change the AAA industry, no question, one way or the other. And ultimately what that becomes is an industry that is already risk-averse becomes even more yes. so. Because if it has to pay its developers more, and deservedly so, they probably should be paying more to these developers, then the chances of them trying out mm-hmm. new IPs or new ideas are pretty much non-existent. But yeah. they're already non-existent, right. by the way. That's but already it, happened. But also, here's... The, and I think, you know... Maybe the unforeseen consequence of that would be, um, like, say, let's say that happened two years from now. The, the other thing about the unionization of game development is I don't even know where you start. Yeah, where you I start. don't even know how you do. I mean, I don't have any. Yeah. I don't have any a game plan for that. But it's like, probably not. It's easy for me to. Yeah, way, it's easy so don't for me, freak yeah, out. Like, easy for me to sit there and say, "You guys need to unionize." I have no idea how yeah, you. Yeah, I've that. never started. Um, I wasn't a union one time though. Yeah. And so here's the, here's one thing I. Will but say. I would say what would happen would be basically you'd see this current you know. The PS4 Pro uh, uh, Scorpio generation would last a very long time. Yeah, because you you would basically have they would figure out their business model for how much these games cost, and they would not want to step it up 
to the next to the next generation level for a long time until they could really nail down how much it costs, how long it takes, and how much profit you make off of it. Now, look, and I'm not going to talk about this for very long, but there is a drawback to having a union. And I worked in a union mill at one point. My mom used to be the head of HR for this hmm. company that made the carpet for like every automobile manufacturer like in the United States. And it was this huge, massive like corporation and I worked the summers there to make extra money when I was like back from college or whatever. And so I was a temp worker and that place was a union workhouse. And every single day somebody came up to me and said, slow down, you're working too fast. <laughs> because what happens is like, you know, I came in as a temp and they're like, oh, you're making us look bad. Because mm. if, if I go in there and I work and I do double the work that they did in the same amount of time, then the corporation can file grievances with the union and it starts to get dirty. And I will say that the union people that I worked with were crazy lazy. They would work harder to not work than if they just worked. And so when you do have that union behind you, there are kind of other variables that come into play there beyond just like, hey, we're getting a fair wage for the work that we're doing. So just and providing the other side of the coin. And there. it's also like, you know, the comparison that's often made is film and television, and like that doesn't happen too much in film and television. Right. Film and television union is basically about rates, residuals, yeah. and mandatory breaks. You know, yeah. not working people twelve hours straight through to get your shot done. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, game development might be, in terms of environment and workplace and uh, functionality of employees, might be more like your mill example than film and television. Yeah. You know, like because it is a mill. Yeah, like you are you are creating a product, and if you are programming faster than everybody else, then you might be told to knock it off. Yeah, that's true. I mean, a, so that's there's, an there's, interesting point. There's a lot to consider in that whole thing. Not to get too much onto the whole uh, labor part of it. Twitchy Jeff wants to know what your most <laughs> anticipated game is in fourth quarter. Oh, we already answered this one. If you, you yeah, like Dishonored Two All was right. mine. Remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Me, I said it before. Well, then Vin Hill right below him asked, what would you rather play this holiday season, Final Fantasy XV or The Last Guardian? The Last Guardian. The Last Guardian. I mean, the la I have a feeling The Last Guardian is going to be like five hours long. Right. I mean, yes, it's a much less, smaller <laughs> investment in your life, but I'm also pretty sure The Last Guardian is going to be better. Here's a funny question from Swanson, who seems to be on his best behavior tonight. Uh, what, is your what is your take on the VR herpes stories making the rounds? Shedding the pink eye would be bad, no? <laughs> it's, I mean, look, it's legitimate. Yeah. I mean, you could get either or from... I mean, you could get either or from using someone's shopping cart. Oh, yeah. But there's a reason shopping cart, like, outside of... I don't know if it's, like, everywhere, but, like, mm -hmm. you go to a grocery store here... They have like disinfected wipes, wipes, like yeah. outside the store to wipe the handle down. Well, they got to be cleaning the the VR goggles while they're. But doing that doesn't that, happen, happen like much. at these trade shows and everything. But I'll tell you so tell you something. You're more likely to get eye herpes from 3D glasses. Yeah, for sure. Because so they're much if, closer to your you, eyes. Yeah, well, they're much closer to your eyes, and you wear them longer. Yeah. And they're not. Those things are not clean. They're all thrown into a bin with all the other glasses and just put it back out on the rack. So if you're avoiding VR goggles at events because you think that uh, you might get pink eye or something, I hope you don't go to 3D movies very often. Or if you do, you better have your own custom pair of 3D glasses that you pull out of your, your suit coat pocket like a jerk. Because 
I'm sure there's people that have their own personal 3D glasses they bring to 3D movies. No, I'm sure they do. There's plenty of germaphobes out there. Uh, Joe Thor 84, do you think the Switch will have an achievement system? If not, would that be a mistake? I don't think it will. Probably not. I think it will have like the same stamp system that you've had in Wii U games. Mm-hmm. Nintendo, for whatever reason, decides to do a lot of stuff in its own way. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. It might have something like that if they've finally figured out a way to do like a unified account thing that is functional on the level of everybody else's. But I also don't see them really caring about that. Man, I put like $60 into my Wii U DLC account at one point, and it has sat there ever since. So... I'm more concerned about my $60 that's sitting on Nintendo Network right now making it over Over to to the the Switch. That's my bigger concern. Achievements would be nice, but I seriously doubt Nintendo will do them. It'll probably be those stamp-like achievements that they have. I'll settle for letting me download my purchases on multiple machines without having to call them. Yeah, that would be nice as well. Okay, one more question. We are well over three hours at this point. And there are so many. I'm sorry, guys. I know I say that this is at the end of every show. We could do a separate show of just questions, I think. Eric Estrada wants to know what your favorite kind of pants are. <laughs> pants? <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Like, you asking, like, slacks or jeans yeah, or, like, your a favorite brand kind of name. Pants? Are you a cargo shorts boy or what? I wear cargo shorts, yeah. Mm. I do. I wear jeans, mostly. Well, I mean, I wear cargo shorts like if I'm working at home and relaxing. Mm. I'm wearing jeans right now. I don't wear cargo jeans if there's such a thing. <laughs> I'm sure there's such a thing. The cargo shorts, like, people hate cargo shorts, but they're the most functional thing ever, man. Like, they have huge pockets. You don't have to carry, like, a backpack around. You can just stuff everything in the pockets. I know some people hate cargo shorts. I don't care. I love <laughs> I won't buy any shorts that aren't cargo shorts, in fact. So, uh, let's see. <laughs> Maybe we'll answer one more. That was a quick one. Super Cordon Blue wants to know if Sifted will ever do a live show where the community is invited to attend. Like in person? Yeah, like a, I guess like a panel kind of thing or something. That'd be cool. Um, I don't know if there's enough Sifters who live in LA yeah. to do something like that. I would love to do that. Yeah, may, like maybe one PAX someday. Or maybe just like a get together at PAX, like where we just go get beers at a bar, maybe have dinner together or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, certainly something that we would love to do. We just don't know if there's enough people to make it feasible in particular areas. Because yeah, we we're pretty underground. It's not like we're like IGN or GameSpot where you can just say, hey, we're going to have a panel at PAX and like. I don't know, man. 8, I've seen, I've seen some in. panels show up at PAX for some pretty obscure things. So. Yeah. I don't know, man. Even when GT was in its heyday, we did a panel at PAX one year and the room was like half full. We did our panels at PAX for X Play where we filled the main hall. Well, I'm sure you did. But like, it game, was television. Yeah, but game trailers had more viewers than we did. Didn't matter, man. Our hall was half empty. Hmm. Yeah, and then they did it again the year after I left, and it was even worse. Interesting. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. I would love to do something like that. I'd love to just meet some of you guys in person because I know you're all awesome. Well, most of you anyway. Uh, one more. We'll just do one more question. I know, I just keep going on and on and on. You're right, it's like, Siv, one more turn. <laughs> That's good, Tim. <laughs> we need to give this guy a microphone is what we need to do. I almost accidentally banned somebody again. Unfashionable. Hmm. Sorry. 
Uh, do you have love for Titanfall 2? Twitchy Jeff, I talked about Titanfall 2 at the top of the show. If you didn't, if you miss it, you're going to have to watch the archive. Unfashionable, are you wearing pants now? <laughs> Wouldn't you like to know? He is, or I wouldn't be sitting here. <laughs> Here's the last one. AJ the Legend Watson. Do we expect Nintendo to actually have a robust online for the Switch? I think you're going to get exactly what you got right now on Wii U. Pretty much. There's yeah. no way they're going to scrap that and just be like, hey, see you later. Look at this brand new thing we built. Like, at this point, your network is what it is, and you're going to yeah. build on top of it and iterate it. You're not going to scrap it and start all over. So Yeah, you'll see that. You'll see a, you know, a version of Meverse. You'll see, right. uh, Which you gives know. me hope that my money will indeed transfer over to the Switch. Well, that's probably why they have a touchscreen. <laughs> you may be right. <laughs> that may be the only reason there's a touchscreen, to make purchases and stuff on. Purchases and a type. Yeah, that's good. You're right. It makes sense. All right, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Man, you guys... Questions galore. We got a lot of them. I wish we could answer more. Unfortunately, we already way over time. I think this might end up being the longest episode ever. Again. Again. <laughs> we are really just setting records like left and right with the show. Uh, but like I said, next week uh, we will have a brand new take on the show. I think you guys are going to like it. I think it will be a lot more flexible. Uh, but you have to wait and see what we have up our sleeve. Also, I think we might have a new episode of Platinum Journey very what? soon. Yes. It has been... Four months wow. since the last episode of Platinum Journey. Well, that last one almost killed him. So. Yeah, it really did. So it is almost done. It should be on the site, I'm guessing, within next week. So uh, keep an eye yeah. out for that. Uh, and, yeah. and check out Joe on Joe. That's right. For G.I. Joe yep. action with me and Kevin, if you want. That's right. So thanks to everybody on the stream. There's still a ton of you on there. We really appreciate it, guys. Uh, all the people in Europe, much love to you guys as well. We'll see you next week. Game Face is up and out.